Today sucks. This has been the worst day ever. Can't catch shad, can't catch catfish. I got rid of the nachos and my bang's warm. Ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? Okay. Welcome to Species Specific. I'm Josh Dolan. And I'm Grant Alvis. That's Grant Alvis. I'm here. <laughs> and we are talking about the shad run today. It is the... Uh, Middle of March, so the shad are here. They're getting fired up. People are starting to catch them now. And uh, essentially, we're going to kind of go through um, what the shad run is, how it affects the East Coast as a whole, how it affects us here in Central Virginia, how to catch them, what to throw, and then kind of the ripple effect of the shad run, the different species. Yeah, all the different stuff that comes along with it. Right, the variety and basically uh, what the shad run is kind of in general why is it so popular right and um so this is our i guess our first episode of species specific so every now and then we'll throw in one of these where we kind of focus on an individual topic say largemouth bass flathead catfish or like today shad and the more they'll be more trophy oriented but today we're just because the shad run is such a popular thing here in central virginia we're gonna kind of give the rundown of our last decade of fishing for these things and how we've learned how to catch them. There's obviously people out there that have been fishing for much longer than us, but there's also people out there that are getting started literally tomorrow. So maybe if this kind of helps you guys um, catch your shad, catch your bait, and then just kind of have fun as things warm up around here. Trim the fat, so to speak. Yeah, so um, I guess... We can kind of give a brief background uh, of our fishing for them. Um, I started fishing for them in about 2011. So I really didn't do anything with this until I graduated high school. and didn't have any experience with it at all. But um, I would say I think it works for both of us that we kind of cut our teeth with, like, figuring out how to sort of fish on our own, like, as adults yeah. without our parents or any influence with the shad. It was kind of like the thing that kick the year off and you sort of figured out how to catch shad and then figured out how to catch catfish and then so on and so forth so yeah i mean i've, I've been fishing for them god as long as i can remember i mean some of my oldest fishing memories are with my dad like mm -hmm. shad fishing because you know elementary middle like grade school uh spring break is always right around the first week of april which yeah. is like peak season for the james and yep. even the rappahannock and, I mean, I remember, you know, a seven-day spring break, if the river wasn't blown out, we'd go mm -hmm. six out of seven days, be there before the sun came up and do it every day. And, hell, most days we were, like, off the water by 1 o'clock. Yeah. And there's boats just getting there. It's yeah, like we, yeah, We've yeah. already done all this, and we're going home at, like, right. 1.30. Right. So, needless to say, the Shad Run has played a big part in us growing as anglers and getting better at kind of just the – 
the, the first time I ever met Josh was during the Shad Run. Yeah, yeah. I'll you can tell that story. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, no, nah, go ahead and tell the story now before we well, jump into all this. The first time I ever met Josh Dolan, we were, I was fishing the Shad Run with, I was working at Bass Pro at the time, and it was like a handful of us out there. There's a mm-hmm. there's a particular rock island in the middle of the river. We were all just standing there messing around, casting. It's just like a good meat spot for yeah. people. And we, David was like, oh, man, Josh is coming up here. This is the guy who used to work with me at Bass Pro. And I was, I've never met Josh before. I think I'd seen him in passing because he used to yeah. come into Bass Pro all the time. But this was right when I started working at Bass Pro, too, probably like my yeah. first year. Um, anyway. Like, oh man, he's got the sweetest kayak I've ever seen. Man. This is like, er, this, this is, is when the Heritage Redfish was like the boat. The Heritage Redfish was probably the highest selling kayak at the time. Yeah, yeah. Heritage is not even a company anymore, yeah. I don't think. I think, I don't know who bought them. But anyway, so Josh's coming up in his Malibu X Factor. Yeah. Um, Super cool. Which at the time was a awesome boat. <laughs> At the time. <laughs> I had the only kayak in 2011 with a built-in live, well. like, bilge, bilge pump, pump live well. Fl- the f- I look back at that, like, what the hell was I thinking? But at the same time, like, I had rocker switches. Oh, yeah. I had a bilge pump. I had a All circulating live well. Your center hatch. Yeah. It up, the switches everywhere. I, I w- almost wish I had that boat it again. Was, it was really cool when it was new. Yeah. <laughs> and then it started disintegrating. Yeah. But anyway... I heard Josh was coming, and he's this really cool guy, and such a cool guy. So good friends with him, and he's uh, this dude's really cool. He's got an awesome kayak. False. <laughs> Little did I know. Nah, he. Uh, I see, and the funny thing was when he came, like we saw him coming from a long ways away. Uh, they said there he is. It's not the like, first time that's been said. They said, "Oh, coming out the boat ramp because you can see the ramp from where we were." And this is like 400 yards down river, and I see what looks like a giant spider crawling its way up the river. Oh, that's because Josh had about 14 catfish rods hanging off of his kayak at yeah. the time. Yeah, that was my tactic back then. Just bring everything bring you own. everything you N- own. Nobody can steal anything out of your car if you don't leave anything in it. So I literally had like eight, six or eight catfish rods, two, three shad rods. I had everything out of On a kayak, mm-hmm. which... Nowadays, I mean, it's still kind of crazy, but not as crazy now. Back then, it was ludicrous. Yeah. He's paddling up the river, and, like, I don't even know how you can make a full paddle stroke without hitting rods yeah. and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why that uh, that kayak kind of fell apart. <laughs> Who would have thought if you put 150 pounds worth of shit in a plastic boat, it just starts cracking everywhere? But, yeah, I don't know. It had, like, I had, like, vertical rod storage, and then I had, like, Side rod. rod like rod tubes so i had like Flood rods nuts. going up going out and th- and then like i had an entire drift master rod bar on i had the kayak catfish like the thing everybody's doing now where they take drift masters and put them in rail setups yeah. i had that in 2011 2012 before people started we doing video it video of you having it too the big yeah. catfish video yeah yeah, yeah. it's just nuts man like having all that stuff I'm glad I, I grew out of that phase of yeah, or at least mostly. I still bring too much shit with me, but the fact that I was doing all that in a kayak says a lot. But yeah, yeah. anyway, I saw him and I'm like, oh, look at this fat idiot. 
<laughs> he just shows up. <laughs> this dude's so fat and stupid and poor. Oh my god. I'll never like this guy. This guy's uh, a loser. Yeah. Oh, but I oh my god, that's a little inside time. joke from lately. <laughs> I was in I was in my tarp at one forty at the time. Oh my god. It's that that whole spiel is like an inside joke Grant and I have like lately where like if I post my goals, like I'm gonna do this, this, and this this year. Like, I'm going to catch the state record. I don't know. Carp. Like, the, here's what I'm trying to achieve. There's always somebody, like, messages you, like, how are you going to do that? That's too big. And then it's like, I had a buddy that did this, this, and this, and he didn't catch it, so you can't catch It's like, yeah, it's just. My buddy's way yeah. skinnier and way cooler like, than you. Like, they, they. Nowhere near they don't. They don't go to the point of saying like you're not gonna do it, but they get just to the edge. So it's basically they don't like, realize that they're saying it without saying it. It's just funny because they're like getting just short of just you're a fat, stupid idiot. There's no way you're gonna be able to do like. It's getting to the point now where every time I post something like that, I just wanna like, oh, is your buddy skinny, smart, or, and like has more money? Oh yeah, my friend couldn't do it. He's no, he's, he's way skinnier and smarter than you <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. He's no so, fat, stupid. Oh god, it's so funny. I mean, it's you know, I cry at night, but it's, it's hurtful, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't have emotions at all. Um, I'm dumb. It's fine. It's you know, if I laugh at it, there's no depression in my body at all. Um, but no, anyway, besides the point. But yeah, it's just it's that's kind of our running joke lately. Every time I say I'm gonna do something, it always ends up like, there's like three or four people that met, and the, the crazy thing is like people take task with the common carp and like how big it is, and completely ignore the fact that the state record flathead that I also want to try to catch is like 70 pounds like no, the carp's definitely harder than one of the largest flathead caught in recent memory yeah, in the United States flathead state record, it'll be like one of the probably yeah. three or four biggest flathead caught in the last like 10 years, yeah, so Needless to say, that has nothing to do about what we're talking about today. We'll go ahead and start jumping into this thing. So, I kind of have written down just sort of a, uh, I don't know, an outline for us to sort of follow. Um, Just to give you kind of an idea about what the Shad Run is, if you're brand new to this and you've never heard it before, this is your first instance of ever hearing anything about the shad run. Essentially, it's seagoing bait fish is essentially what they are. That, um, much like a salmon that lives in salt water and runs up to spawn in fresh water, that's kind of the same thing that shad are doing. You have American shad, hickory shad, um, thread fins, like it's various types of shad species. But the two main ones that you'll see, and the two main ones that you'll definitely catch are hickory and american and those fish are running up from salt water into fresh water to spawn and then returning back to the ocean so unlike the salmon they don't die they they return back to the ocean to repeat the cycle next year so yep. it's essentially a a springtime uh thing so as the water temps warm up these fish essentially make their way i don't know where they are the rest of the year they uh We've seen balls of them out there in the bay where we're cobia fishing. Yeah, before. it's just weird. Like they kind of spread out. Um, I know a lot of people see them on the eastern side of the eastern shore, mm-hmm. like in the, you know, in the ocean. But um, it's just weird because like, they're just out there schooling up. Yeah, offshore somewhere. Like shad aren't. When you catch shad, it's like a reaction strike thing. So they're not 
eating. They're just striking. So, like, they're striking because they're hyper-aggressive because of the spawn. So the rest of the year, you're just not going to catch them, basically, because yeah. they're not, they don't have any reason to strike. But essentially, these fish, as, you know, January, you know, it, it happens all up the East Coast. So obviously, Florida, right, Florida's going to get warmer faster than we are. It usually starts late January, early mm-hmm. February. So, like, sometime in January, people start catching them. I think the St. Mary's River and St. John's. St. John's. That's where Flip's St. John's. St. Mary's is in... Are you sure? I have no idea. St. Mary's is a college. No, St. Mary's is a St. river. St. Mary's is a brook trout river in the state of Virginia. It's also a river. I think St. John's is the one in Min- or Wisconsin. Uh, hold on. We need to look into this. St. John's River, Florida. Okay. Is there St. Mary's, Florida? Or am I tripping? I think you've already tripped. Cool. <laughs> All right. Josh's whole life is alive. We need to end the podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, no. Anyway, I guess the Saint. There is a Saint Mary's River in Florida. Okay. Well, if you're in Florida, <laughs> try one of those two rivers. I don't know what to tell you. They but, both uh, feed into the Atlantic Ocean. So, so we're, we're both, both correct. Okay. Well, we're I'm just more correct. <laughs> yeah. We're just gonna assume that the Saint Marys and the Saint Johns both get shad just for this conversation's a lot sake. Of saints in Florida. Yeah, but essentially these fish are as the water warms and gets up into like the mid fifties, which I don't know if Florida's ever that cold, but for the Mid Atlantic, the the time you start catching those fish is like the mid fifties. But um, you know they'll catch them in Florida in January and then up the coast. The the deeper into spring or the closer to spring you get the higher up the coast they catch them. So our big time here in central Virginia is like the beginning of March. They're here kind of in February, but you really don't see any of them it's caught. It's like peak is usually towards like middle to the end of March. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's peak for of, shad. Yeah, when you think of Virginia as a whole, if you're talking about shad, it starts usually early March down mm-hmm. south of like the Nottaway. Yeah. Place like well the Nottaway is technically that's the Pamlico Sound fishery, mm-hmm. but um, that's like North Carolina. Yeah. yeah, they they just make their way up in there from North Carolina, mm-hmm. but the Nottaway is always first, and then it's for whatever reason like Mattapanai Pamunkey are right after that, mm-hmm. and then the James, and then you work your way up. Like the Mattapanai, the James, and the Pamunkey, they're all within like a week of each other. But the magic number for me has always been fifty degrees. I yeah, mean, you, the shatter here before that water temperature a lot. Well, not some years. Some years it's 55 when they get here because we have a warm winter. But yeah, I think that's probably been the like, case this year. Yeah, I mean, it's 50. It's right at 50 now. But yeah. it seems like they won't bite or strike really well until it hits 50. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been out there before where the screen is just black with fish. And mm-hmm. It's 48-degree water, and you catch, like, 10. But then it gets <laughs> to 50 in the afternoon, and you just start whacking them. Yeah, so like a, like a creeping tide, these fish... The, the deeper into sp- or closer spring you get, the farther up the coast you can catch them. So we're about middle of March. Uh, I think Jersey and Delaware's maybe. And they get them in like the Susquehanna, I think, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's like deeper into spring, like April. Yeah, and like mid-April. Like you see guys catching shed all the way up at like Delaware in June. Yeah, like so. Steady going. Kind of just gives you an idea. And the same thing happens with the striper, which we'll talk about later. Those fish are caught here, or you know, about that time, and then up in like yeah. New Jersey, it'll be later. But anyway, as you were saying, uh, the springtime early shad season here in Central Virginia is kind of tricky because you could either have cold water and nobody's catching anything because of that cold water, and the shad kind of pile up, 
and then eventually the water warms up, you can catch a bunch, or you have warm water and not a lot of shad. Yeah. Both it's, situations are frustrating because you're either way you're not catching fish. It's more annoying when you're there and you just realize you're early. Like yeah. you're there, it's fifty two degree water and there's just no fish. Yeah. So Because I mean if it's fifty two, fifty three degree water and mm-hmm. you're there in March, they should be there. Yeah. But there's some years they're just not. And yeah. people always it's it's just funny. One thing we've talked about a bunch is everyone's like, Oh, it's warm. Yeah, dogwoods are blo- when the dogwoods blooming, they're here. Okay, well the dogwood dogwoods no, bloomed in like what? It's literally the shad bush, the one that smells like it. No, that's the those are Bradford pears. Okay, well no. the facipia bush, not a the big yellow bush. Um, they nicknamed them the shad bush, and you know, oh, growing up, my dad always used to call it the shad bush and everything. And I even texted him this year. I said, "Don't listen to those bushes." Because this year, the shad bushes were blooming, like, on Valentine's Day, because it was so warm. Spend enough time in downtown Richmond, you'll find a shad bush. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's typically, I mean, I try to keep track of when I see the first hickory shad get caught around Richmond every year, just via social media or, like, by myself or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's always within, like four to five days yeah last year. you'll have some guys that'll pop off and catch one like in february sometime and yeah. then they they uh well, it's like i texted jonathan the, my buddy who came down and fished with me uh just had a random day he was only in town for one day species guy trying to catch a hickory mm-hmm. or a white perch he's never caught either mm-hmm. and uh just check him off the list it's like yeah hey, we could probably go out there didn't realize how lucky we were yeah because like we caught them caught a few of each and with for like five days following that, I didn't see a single one get caught. Yeah, I'm getting a little nervous. I was literally, right before we started recording, I'm texting with our buddy John, and we're going to go out and try to get Shad and then the big stripers tomorrow, and I'm just sitting here thinking if I'm actually going to be able to catch any Shad. I've been a little off my game the past couple of years. Like, Yeah, you're really bad. <laughs> Thanks. All right, cool. All right, that's it for us, folks. I'm not going to keep taking this abuse. Um no, but, like, I haven't shadfished, like, with any sort of effort in, like, the past five years, it feels like, just because I keep getting sidetracked in springtime with other stuff. Yeah. So I'm sitting here wondering if I'll actually be able to catch them tomorrow if I get to bust out a cast net and just ruin their day. But we'll see. But, um... You can always throw a cast net discharge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. Catch a turd or two. Yeah. Anyway, um... But, yeah, so the shad are coming up. You're starting to catch them. At the magic number's 50 degrees. And the shad are kind of a cool thing because you can get them by boat, by kayak, from shore. You can kind of get them any way, especially we, we here. We kind of skipped over why it's so popular. And it's, you know, the average angler, not everybody, but most anglers, I would say the vast majority, mm-hmm. put their stuff away in the winter. Not yep. a lot of guys go out and fish in the winter. Yeah. So you might, they might go. You're not. You're not your beginner no. novice guys. I mean, even your guys who fish a lot. I mean, it gets colder just by nature. You're not going to fish as much. There's less yeah. light, less daylight. You know. Well, everything slows down too. You're just not yeah. catching. Even if you are fishing, you're not catching. Yeah. So out of nowhere, it goes from that to everybody can tie on a shad spoon on spinning mm-hmm. rod and just go out and catch like a hundred yeah. if they want to. And well, they fight hard, they pull, they jump, they're, yeah. you know. This week's a, a great representation of that. This morning was 22 degrees. It was like 65. Well, Friday is going to be 80. Yeah. So it's like, that's what you're getting this time of year. Everybody's kind of just 
you're at the very end of like cabin fever and you're just itching to do something and it just it's like the, like it Daytona 500 so what it's you can the, do is like the, the mecca yeah the like, most fish you'll catch in the years the first fishing you I mean we see guys all the time they'll go catch a bunch of fish in the spring and kind of taper off it's just it's the it's the one like bone or or just you know layup that the fishing gods will throw you because yeah. you can catch a ton of fish right as you get started like, for the year I see some of these guys like some of these fishing groups in the midwest they're like kayak fishing groups and they're mm-hmm. like oh man like they count their fish for the year they're like oh mm-hmm. here comes 2023 I'm gonna have me another 500 fish a year yeah and I'm like we could do that in four days yeah yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Shed run. yeah. so that's that's kind of the like that's the the don't realize it, how lucky we are yeah that's the definitely the it factor so if you're if you're listening to this and you've never done it before, you should definitely get out and just give it a try. And at the very least, like you could have zero, you you can turn this podcast off right now and learn nothing from us. And you'll still, as long as you have like a light action rod, you can go to the James around 14th Street with zero idea and just stand there and watch people. And you'll learn enough from watching those people to be able to put together what you need to do to catch those fish. That's how concentrated they are, and that's how many anglers are out there. It's a bottleneck effect. They're swimming up from the ocean, Mm -hmm. and then they hit a wall. Mm -hmm. And every single shed that swims up all these rivers, they get to the fall line, Mm -hmm. and they stop. Yeah, so so if you're not one of our friends that are listening to this and you're hearing this sometime in the future, this is blown up for some reason, we live in Richmond, Virginia. So Richmond, Virginia, the reason why Richmond was essentially formed as a city is it's right where the fall line is, which is essentially a rift in the earth. The the, the river drops, I don't know, 100 feet or so. Humans are inherently lazy. So we, <laughs> yeah. we, we sailed up the river and said, hmm, that looks bad. Yeah, and we stopped right here. sailed as far as we could go, and we said, screw this. Yeah, and we, we are done. We formed a city. So... Essentially, Richmond sits on the dividing line from the upper reaches of the James River that are rocky and craggy and and very clear water and a lot of hard sediment or, or hard um, structure and hard bottom. And then there's Richmond, and everything below Richmond is essentially tide. It's yeah. muddy, muddier water, darker water, deeper water, tide affected. So we kind of we're in a special place in which. These shad are running up river to spawn, and they they shad, which a lot of spawning um, species are like this. They'll go as far as they can go until they physically can't yeah. go anymore. So these fish get to the 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 city of Richmond and run into these rapids, and it's not enough of a deterrent for them to spawn right there. Yeah. Some will spawn right in the city and be yeah, a lot of them do, and a lot of them the shad do a little something different than like. They don't necessarily salmon jump their way through the rapids mm-hmm. like s- salmon do. They uh, a lot of these shad will wait for the river to spike, mm-hmm. and you know it's springtime. You get a lot of rain. The way the James and the way all of our rivers in the state of Virginia work, you get rain west of here. Mm-hmm. It gathers up in the river, flows down. When it gets to the city, the river spikes, and yeah. when it covers all those rapids. The shad can now swim upriver without mm-hmm. having to beat themselves up so bad, and that's how they use it to kind of stair step their way upriver. Yep. And they get to there's a handful of major dams on the river, but they all have fish liners now. Yep. But um, 
yeah, yeah. A, a cool thing um, I mean historically they used to go all the way all the way up the river like past Lidgeburg yeah I mean I assume they want probably like some sort of pea gravel type situation yeah. I would assume that's what they're looking for because if not I don't know what else they would need the, yeah. but um there is a cool thing that has been in place here in uh, in Virginia for a long time. I, I watched it in high school. It's a little bit higher tech That's now, but camera. it's yeah. called the Shad Cam. So if you go to the Virginia DWR website uh, or just Google. I think you could just Google yeah, James River Shad Cam. Just Google Shad Cam. It's probably the first thing. But it's an underwater camera. Or it's, it's a camera built into... Uh, like a fish ladder, a, yeah, like at, a window with mm-hmm, a fish ladder at Bosher's Dam here on the James, and Bosher's Dam is by far the largest, most permanent obstruction that these shad have on their way upriver. I think they can, with Bosher's, they can run all the way to Lynchburg and the dam in Lynchburg, and they can't go any farther. Than yeah, that. I think Lynchburg's the last one, but I don't. I don't know think, if they go that far. I don't think they've really captured any that far up in a long time. Yeah, I've noticed like once they get up. That's this is another thing. If you're a new shad angler, I don't think once you get past Richmond, yeah, I don't really think they're they're not they're maybe they're not concentrated enough or, or it's weird because like you don't in, catch them in the Rappahannock in Fredericksburg, you catch them in the rapids like up above the fall line a little mm-hmm. ways. I mean you're you're not that far above the fall mm-hmm. line, but you're probably in some spots maybe three quarters of a mile above the fall line. Yeah, but it could just be an access thing too, because you don't have a lot of like nobody's really fishing nah. above Richmond. It gets kind of like stretched out, and yeah. it's a lot of private property. So it, it could just be an angler, you know, concentration yeah. thing. I've seen them stacked up below that fish liner before, though. My yeah. dad and I were smallmouth fishing in May one time, and it's just like a crowed line mm-hmm. of fish. We did technically are not supposed to fish for them. We didn't cast at them or anything. But yeah, that we is. Granted, an, we didn't have anything for them anyway. Right. But. That is an important thing to note. If you're on, I believe this goes for the entire fall line, but I know specifically the James. Once those fish hit the fall line, you're not allowed to harvest any of the species. Yeah. There is a moratorium on blueback herring and American shad. It's been in place for about a decade or more now. Um, so all those have to be, the, go back. The, the American shad one's been in place for a long time. The blueback herring one is going on like it's 11th year, I think. Yeah, yeah which was only supposed to be a 10-year thing, I, I think, yeah, when it was implemented. It was supposed to be a 10-year moratorium. But that's no longer the case. So you have to throw those back immediately, regardless of like where you catch them. But um, hickory shad and basically all shad species above the fall line have to go back because that's technically their spawning ground so they can't be really harassed yeah. or capped or anything above I think that. it's any uh i think that's the entire river i like think above. it's any anadromous or species has to be returned if you're at the above the fall line yeah because i think they can draw like a i think they can technically ticket you for keeping stripers up there too eh, i don't think you're yeah it's one of those things it's not as enforced as strictly mm-hmm. but like i have seen wardens on 14th street write people tickets that are fishing above 14th street keeping shed because mm. 14th street is what the state considers the line yeah that's the hard line on the james if Anything you're above they always try to bridge. use a physical landmark landmark and mm. there's nothing much more physical than a bridge if you're above the bridge or below the bridge then you're above mm-hmm. the fallout or below it mm-hmm. so so we've kind of touched on timing um we sort of touched on we touched on identifying the yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Uh, the location, um, basically all tidal rivers 
on the East Coast, if we're, we're talking, we're going to kind of talk in general and within the state of Virginia. Cause There's that's, actually a pretty convenient marker for the state of Virginia. If you want to look at a general location to fish in all of the tidal rivers, mm-hmm. Interstate 95 is like the perfect marker. Yeah, It goes right up the fall line through the whole entire state pretty much. Yeah, more or less. I mean, the Rappahannock, you're just a hair west of where you want to fish, but mm-hmm. Richmond, it's right smack dab in where the fish are, and on the Potomac, it's right smack dab where mm-hmm. the fish are. Yeah, so that's a good kind of just generally where your tidal rivers reach um, a major city like like uh, Fredericksburg or Richmond or even DC DC right I'll, like probably Little Falls or something up there um, the York um, well that's the Potomac and the Pamunkey sort of splits Mattapanine Pamunkey yeah, the so, a good spot. Walkerton, Pamunkey, I'm not so much familiar with. There's not as much access there. But essentially, yeah. any tidal river, just take your pick. Some are, areas are going to be more busier than others. But generally, even if you have to stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody, you'll still catch fish. And yeah. it's the type of thing where everybody's catching so much, unless you're kind of a real turd person. Most people yeah. don't care that you're fishing next to them. No, it's like, this isn't trout fishing where that's a problem. No, like, most places where you're standing on the bank, I mean, if you're within, if you give somebody five or six feet on either side of them, no one's going to say anything. Yeah, I mean, they really can't Maybe at like, everybody's doing Maybe it. at like 6 a.m. when it's the only <laughs> other person there, so, and you just come stand right next yeah, to Yeah, then you're the that. guy that stands next to the dude at the urinal yeah. when the entire bathroom. <laughs> there were 30 <laughs> urinals open, and you chose the <laughs> yeah, one right next to the yeah, other guy. It just have presence of mind. That's all we're saying. But uh, uh, we touched on water temps, so, you know, 40s or uh, 50s the magic number, and as far as when to start catching them, and I'd say probably get as you approach maybe 70, something like that. You start catching less of them. Uh, I don't really. I've know. never really seen a hard like temperature where you start catching less mm-hmm. of. It's more a time of year. Once they show up, you got about maximum of 60 days. Yeah, you're, yeah. As far as the duration in Virginia, because really, I mean, in the James once like May gets here, yeah, you're you can still pick off a few shad, but mm-hmm. it's almost all herring and white perch in May, right? And 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 like schoolie stripe or stuff yeah. like that. The shad generally, the shad are kind of like what starts the party. They come yeah, in the first one. They get everybody eaten. They they get everything going, and then they spawn and they get out of there. And then everybody else is kind of. You know, these yeah. bigger species have made this travel upriver and they're eating as much as they can. Now the shad are gone. They're like, well, I'm going to try to eat a little bit more before yeah, I go back. For whatever reason, the herrings stick around a lot longer, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, another um, thing. The white perch also, they, the white perch aren't coming from the ocean. They're they're running up the river. Yeah, they're more brackish. They, they do live down in the saltier side of the river, but they, I mean, there's white perch that live in within a mile of Richmond year round. Yeah, yeah. And then there's white perch that live all the way down in Jamestown. Mm-hmm. So like it's it's a weird migration for them because it's like they all start swimming and they're just like, Oh, what's up, buddy? And they just yeah. all get together and show up. Yeah, so that's a good it's a good kind of segue for the different types of um, shad that you yeah. run into. So there's uh, your hickory shad is probably the one everybody's gunning for. That's the ones you can keep for bait. It's the ones that's generally more abundant. Um, they're fun. They do a lot of jumping. That's they're kinda... the more athletic and acrobatic mm-hmm. of the two. So when we're talking about... They're like... the ones that are nicknamed the poor man's tarpon because right. they are... They do all the stuff right. a tarpon does. So 
if you hook into a hickory or if you hook into a shad and you're like, ah, I don't know, is it American? Is it a hickory? If it jumps, it's pretty much hickory shad 100% of the time. And typically those hickories, right when you hit them, they make like that good little first mm-hmm. run. They'll usually take 10 or 15 yards of drag the mm-hmm. second you hit them. Yep. And then American shad are typically on the larger side. They generally throw their weight around yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, they're more of like a bulldog fight. They stay down lower. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't really, they don't jump. But Not much. As far as identifying between those two species, um, the hickory shad is going to have essentially a large underbite, a noticeable underbite. His bottom jaw is going to protrude. It's The bottom look jaw at, leads the body, Yeah, look at the jaw structure of a tarpon Mm -hmm. if a tarpon was to swim face first into a wall the first thing that would hit the wall would be the underside of its bottom jaw Mm -hmm. where an american shad essentially the bottom jaw folds up under the top jaw so Mm -hmm. if an american shad swam straight into a wall essentially its nose or the top you know the front of its upper lip would hit first yeah it's a good way to that's a good way to describe it so if you go with that in mind you should be able to differentiate yeah i mean that that's the dead it's one of those giveaway. things like a lot of people try to go off size or go off yeah, color really don't don't do, do that, that. Mm-hmm. especially early in the season because like in mid-march late march mm-hmm. you'll catch some gigantic hickories like yeah. you'll catch some hickories that are 21 22 inches mm-hmm. long they're like oh that has to be an american which granted sure think it's american throw those big hickories big breeder females <laughs> yeah. back we we try to use males for bait if we can no reason to kill the big females if you don't have to but anyway just from a biological standpoint i mean something you'll learn if you ever study that stuff is you never judge a species by its color or its size Mm -hmm. because color is always subjective to its environment and size is relative so yep i mean i've caught american shed they're 16 inches long yeah little ones and then Mm -hmm. i've caught hickories that are almost 23 inches long right so with that being said the hickory shad chin leads its body. Yeah. American shad, the bottom jaw kind of folds into the top jaw. That's the surefire way to yeah. tell. Another way to tell, like as you're fighting the fish, you said don't mention color, but hickory shad do have multiple black spots like in a row. Yeah. When they're but, in the water, they're extremely visible. Yeah, when yeah. they come out, they kind of they kind of bleach out it's a little bit. One of those things you, you can kind of turn them in the sun and see. It's them. like iridescent sort of. Yeah, but um. American shad are nicknamed white shad, too. Yeah, yeah, they don't have a lot of color. Especially when they're underwater, they look chrome. Mm-hmm. When, a, when an American shad is flopping underwater next to the boat, they they yeah. they yeah look pretty different. Yeah, but as you're fighting, like a good kind of like pre-indicator of what you might have, like if you see like five or six kind of black dots about the size of uh, maybe a nickel or a quarter going down the, basically extending from the top of the jawline down the side... That's a good indicator that yeah, they have... start right behind the eye and mm-hmm. fade out as they go down the body. Yeah. But like I said, color's not a good way, but that's typically sort of your preconceived idea of what you might have on. The hardest one to tell out of all of them is between a little hickory shad and a big herring. Yeah. Because they are very similar. Their mouth structure is pretty similar. And, uh, you know, it's kind of important to know because herring is one of those Especially, ones... like, late in the season mm-hmm. when all those male hickories start flood the rivers. I mean, you'll yeah. catch some hickories that are, like, 12 inches long. Yeah, it takes... I mean, even people that fish for them all the time, like, it, it can be a little tricky sometimes to tell the difference between the two. Just, I mean, just, just don't do anything stupid. If you're not sure, don't keep it. Just yeah. throw it back. 
Like, right. don't risk it because right. an American Shad's six hundred bucks a piece. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure bluebacks are worse. Yeah. Like now they are. Well, they're like yeah, the federal moratorium, all that stuff. Like you just don't want to yeah, mess with just, it. But, but anyway, if so you're not sure, don't risk it. We have herring. We have hickory shad, American shad, blueback herring, L Y. Which, which are rare. I mean, they are here. You they really, do come up. Yeah. I've only ever caught one in my life. I don't even know if I have. I haven't paid that much attention. I've caught one in my life, and I was getting ready to throw back. I was like, wait, what is that? And I looked mm-hmm. at it, and I compared a picture later, and I know mm-hmm. for a fact I caught one L.Y. when I was, like, 17. Yeah. And then you have gizzard shad, gizzards, which, which are, are mud shad. They're here all the time. Yeah. If you hooked one in the mouth, no, you didn't. You snagged it. They don't. You, you may catch one with a hook in its mouth, but you snagged it in its mouth. Yeah, they they are more of a. Um, they're a filter feeder. Filter feeder, so they're eating kind of microscopic stuff. Uh, they typically, when it's not spring, they're usually living around like warm water discharges mm-hmm. or back in the backs of creeks. They get all. all they like a lot of like hard structure. They can eat the microorganisms off of and yeah. stuff like that. But they are by far the smelliest. Yeah, you so. typically know a gizzard shad when you catch it. First off, they're ugly. They're yeah. like gray, and they have the long thread off their dorsal fin. Mm-hmm. And the second they leave the water, they stink. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, you can wash your hands 15 times, you're still going to smell it. But they're kind of like the lowest tier of bait. Just... They're great in the wintertime when there's nothing else. Yeah, there's no other option. Yeah, but it's like it's the difference between a T-bone steak and a hamburger. Like, yeah, yeah hamburgers always the biggest good. thing is the bloodline. Yeah. Like when you're keeping these fish for bait, hickory shad and back when it was legal, herring was was candy. Yeah, I mean this was long time ago, but striper candy. I mean anything candy. Yeah. I remember dropping a live herring down. You clip a couple fins off, drop them down, let them flop, and it was. I mean, you didn't need to go back to shadfish and just hang on because yeah. it was going to be quick. Something was going to eat yeah. it. But the uh, the gizzards, when you cut them into steaks, you got like 10 minutes of that thing being in the current, and then you pull yeah. it up and all the blood's out of it there's already. There's very little blood in a, in a, in a gizzard shad, and, and for whatever not reason, a very big gut pocket. Yeah, I would say their gut cavity like is empty immediately. Yeah. So, it's like I said, it's the difference between a burger and a steak. Like yeah. Burgers are always good, and you always take a burger, but steaks there you're going to take the steak so in the springtime hickory shad is king when it comes to bait and gizzard shad is kind of like oh shit i didn't catch any hickory shad like that's essentially but you're 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 only really going to get those with like a gill net or a cast net you're not going to catch them in the mouth you might snag them you might snag one or two throughout the season but right but that's essentially what you're dealing with um with your uh, species of shad. We also have, um, like I said, the blueback herring. Then you have white perch that run upriver, and they're, they they kind of come in sometime in the middle of all of that. Uh, and then eventually you'll have your like schoolie striper and stuff like that that run upriver too. So there's a lot of you know smaller type fish that come up, but I think the thing that attracts most people is you also get a lot of big fish that come upriver. So all like a lot of your big blue catfish if you're you know you're on the title north carolina or or virginia maryland like your big blue cats you have all that scent and all that food moving up river the catfish are just going to inherently follow them up for yeah. wherever they are like and it's the somewhat resident catfish too i don't think the blues are making a massive migration. Yeah. I feel like it's maybe like a twenty to within twenty-five vis- mile. Yeah. yeah, within the vicinity. That's 
I wouldn't even say that. I'd said probably the fish within like five miles. You're yeah. not gonna Jordan. I mean, Jordan Point's twenty five river miles. I'd say. Isn't yeah. It? Something like that. But see, Richmond. once you get up from Jordan Point, you get to like Turkey Island. That's where the river really bottlenecks and gets skinny. Mm. So like, I could even understand. I mean, there's probably catfish in some of those creeks down the lower river that like Never don't leave. even know the shad runs a thing because yeah. they don't they don't ever see them coming yeah. up river. Yeah. So like, it's you, you hard get to your say. big. You get your big cats, your blues, your flatheads, and you get your big striper, which we'll touch on those kind of towards the end of this. I want to keep moving us through the shad, yeah, um, since that's kind of the the thing that kicks all this off. So, talked about sort of the timing, the location, uh, the duration, the water temps, and the species. I, I I wrote this down while we were talking. There's a cool sort of fact, but I mean. The South was already losing the Civil War, oh, but yeah. the it's kind of Charles City shad bake. Yeah, so <laughs> towards the end of actually, it was the I believe it was the last battle of the Civil War, the Battle of uh, Sailors Creek. Um, General George Pickett, who's famous for the Pickett's Charge, he had his, I guess, battalion. Not a lot or, of good things attributed to old Pickett's name. Uh, I don't know if it was well, all plenty his of good fault, things, but, but a lot of bad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where this isn't a history podcast, but yeah. <laughs> Anyway, he was uh, he had his Battalion army of men outside of Farmville, and I believe he went back to Richmond or, or somewhere outside of that area to yeah. participate in a shad bake. And I believe a lot of his top brass were there with him. And uh, lo and behold, the Union attacked and essentially like the same day. <laughs> yeah, like the exact same time. And essentially, it's granted, they were like twenty miles away when it happened. Which twenty miles during the Civil War is like, yeah, we're screwed. Yeah, we can't get yeah. there. You know how fast horses run? Like twenty miles an hour. So you're an hour away from helping. Yeah. No, but yeah. So essentially, George Pickett and his brass were having a uh, shad bake with a civilian family, and I'm pretty sure he was just about checked out. Of the war, I think at this they were time. down in Charles City at the time. Somewhere down there, I don't know, but they were far enough away to realize they were screwed. By the time Richard's he got there, yeah. everything was over. But Pickett had a hard time after Pickett's charge, so he was kind of taking it easy. And his army at that time was essentially made up of just rags, worn out people. They were taking sailors from the, literally the Confederate army. It was just a ragtag well, I mean, band yeah, of people. I remember, so. it's like whoever survived Pickett's charge, which wasn't many. Yeah. And then whoever he picked up along the way that yeah. wanted to fight. Yeah, so. they were like disbanding the Confederate Navy and putting them into the army. It was just He was like time, picking but... up people along the countryside too. <laughs> yeah. Like as he's marching, they're just like, I'll fight. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, this isn't a history podcast. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. Yeah, so Shad even in some very minuscule part played a part in the downfall of the, the Confederate Army in, in that entire situation. But, uh, yeah, so Pickett was having a shad bake, and by the time he made it back, his army was effed. So, <laughs> don't go eat that. One of the many reasons not to eat shad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are, as far as table fare, like I, there are people that eat them, but from what I understand, the best part about them are is like the row. I know the big thing around here is like people will catch the shad, and they'll keep the females, they'll cut the row sack out, and like fry it up with eggs or yeah. something. I, I like shad row, but I don't like it enough to go out there and just massacre a bunch. I of can't females. do it after using them for cut bait. I just can't do it. Shad row is pretty good. I will maybe over the course of the whole shad season, I might keep like four, 
female. So that's eight egg sacs. Like that's eight row sacs. It it makes me nauseous thinking about it. <laughs> like eating It's pretty good. I mean you fry it up with cornmeal and mix it with eggs. It's I mean it's it's not egg, like I would not choose eggs. They are already slimy. I'll <laughs> tell you it's it's not worth going out there and massacring a bunch of like fish to do it. Well it's not that look, good. We're not conduct if you want to go eat them, go eat them and try it. Don't take my word yeah, for it. But, but I, I've i never eaten them simply because I can't get over the fact that I use them for bait. So it's up to you. But apparently Shad Row is pretty decent table fare. It's Hickory it's Shad Row. But, um, we can talk about targeting them now. Specifics yeah, of well, catching them. I have... Um, uh, yeah, I guess we can get into that. I have like the baits next. Do, would you rather... Talk about like the tides and stuff, or would um, you rather talk about the baits? We'll do the do the the tides and like this how it affects them, yeah, sort of. and like the situations to catch okay. them, and then we'll talk about what All we right. throw. Well, lead us into that. So essentially, because these fish tides are caused by the moon, <laughs> there's this giant thing in the sky, and it's uh, got aliens on it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Turn in the front. Never mind. Moon landing's I'm fake. Not, I'm not quoting Alex Jones <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> the moon landing's fake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so essentially, you got to think these fish uh. are traveling from an incredible distance away, so they're going to use that tide to their advantage. Same as you know, swimming I, up even, current. You don't want to do that. I've even noticed not just tides, but like early season. If we get like a big flood in late mm-hmm. February, early March, that. Even way down river where the river's a mile and a half wide, they mm-hmm. can feel that change in oh, yeah. water flow. Yeah, they're going to use that to help them run up river. Mm-hmm. I mean, even there's been a couple years where I've noticed we've had a big flood in like late February, early March, and they'll be here earlier. It's like yeah. they're down in Hopewell somewhere. And they're like, oh man, time to go, and they yeah. just shoot up river. Yeah, it's a good kind of little like side nugget if you're writing things down from this. Like anytime you have, unless it's late season, late season it can work the other way. Yeah, late season they can end it. You can send them home, but if yeah. you're talking like like right about now, uh, the if middle you get of a March, if bump we get in water flow, if we get a bump in flow, it's gonna take, it's gonna get those fish that are kind of lazily coming up river mm-hmm. and really put some pep in their step. But essentially, how the tides work, especially around here, is they're using it to their advantage. So incoming tide they're running up river they're they're shooting towards those rapids they're going as far as they can so for example here in the city you know at lower tides they'll be in the deeper water Mm -hmm. down below the city they'll be in the river channel where it's 20 25 feet deep they'll kind of be down on the bottom as the tide shifts and incoming tide happens they're following that tide up and they're kind of working their way up to the rocks yeah if you look at the james as a whole like or at least the area where you typically catch the shad it's about a mile mile and a half of water mm-hmm. and they're essentially swimming in circles yeah you got these fish they follow the nor- the incoming tide up to the fall line they kind of bottleneck stack up swim in a circle up there around the bridges mm-hmm. and then as the tide drops plenty of them still stay up there but a lot of them ride the mm-hmm. tide back down river post up around egg caros or mm-hmm. just below and then do it all over again when the tide comes back up. Yep. They just swim in a big circle over yep. and over and over. And again. you're going to go, okay, well, why don't they just stay up there? Well, they have this natural instinct to watch out for things like birds of prey. Yeah, that's the other thing. When the shad show up, 
Just look up. There's a hundred ospreys, a million blue herons, cormorants, cormorants. Yeah, those things will jack up a school of herring. You'll be herring specifically for the cormorants. Those things will come. I mean, it'll be a constant like barrage of those things just going down, coming up with herring. You'll see just this big. I mean, it's funny what it looks like from upriver. You'll be a mile upriver from like a flock of cormorants. Mm And the sun hits them, and it's just this mirror shining at you yeah. because there's 500,000 cormorants that have herring in their mouth. Yeah. And the sun's hitting the herring as they're flopping around. Yeah. It, it's nuts. Yeah, so birds of prey, like, that's another good kind of indication, like, if you're trying to sort of find the fish, like, kind of pay attention to where the cormorants are because they're yeah. always on the fish. But tide comes up, the water raises, those fish run up river, they try to get in get their way up there okay the tide's switching the tide's dropping okay yeah. i don't want to be stuck in shallow water so they'd run back down to the river channel so as that pertains to fishing if you check your tides before you go to the river you see where you're at on the tide yeah. chart and this kind of goes for everywhere that's tidal but if we're talking the james specifically okay the tide's going out all right, let me go find a spot down river, mm-hmm. like um, you know, below the discharge at Ancaro's, uh, off the jetties, you know, if you're on foot or you know, farther down somewhere yeah, if you're in a boat. Rock Island down, right? Anywhere, anywhere down river, and it's mm-hmm. from what I've noticed on higher tide and incoming tide, you can kind of catch them everywhere, but as that tide gets lower, mm-hmm. the guys upriver struggle. At Downriver is one of the only places you can catch them. Yeah, and that's primarily because the James is cut with a dis- de- like definite shipping channel. I don't know yeah. if you call it a shipping channel, but yeah. it's a man-made cut river channel all the way up to directly across from Ancara's boat yeah, ramp. Annabelle Lee Dock. Yep, there's a, there's an old dock that used to like tugboats and stuff came up and docked there. So yeah. essentially, from that point down. There's a defined river channel that's 20 to 30 feet deep in some places. So you can catch them there pretty much all the time. But as the tide's coming in, up around, you know, 95, 14th Street, those areas where the water's shallower, it's going to be a better, you know, place to try to catch them. And you got to think, too, like you're talking about water volume. It's always going to be easier to catch fish where there's less water. So fishing up above 95 where it's only, you know, 10 or 12 feet deep, it's going to be easier to catch those fish because you don't have double the depth to deal with. Typically the crazy, you know, just nonstop whack fest, four or five hour sections of shad fishing (laughs) is up there above 95. I mean, some of the best. I've had a few of those. The best days I've ever had shad fishing are all up above 95 when you hit the tide right. Yeah. But it does stop. I yep. mean, when that tide gets bottomed out, I mean, unless you're fly fishing, you can still pick them off. But mm-hmm. if you're using a spinning rod for whatever reason, when that tide gets low, it's over. Yeah. We'll touch on that a little bit. but Yeah, it gets a little tricky. It's just that's the the biggest thing that se- sets apart, you know, people that. The other thing is water clarity, too. We'll get into that. Yeah. But the biggest thing that sets people apart from just casually catching them and really, like, staying on the fish is learning where they're at. Mm-hmm. Those fish are constantly moving. So it's as simple as if you're not catching them, they're not, you know, I'd say they're not there. There's different variables that come into play. But if you're simply not catching them. The guys like, who go out there and where crush them move multiple times. Yeah. You're not going to park in one spot and catch them all day. Yeah. But it, it also comes down to, like, you could you could have your boat positioned 15 foot farther upriver than somebody and not, catch and not catch them the boat directly behind you is wearing them out you need to pay attention to these things like where 
are the people catching them that you see catching them? There's a reason why they're catching. There's some, you know, the bottom obstruction, a current break. There's yeah. something there that there's a reason why and they're it catching them. It doesn't take the much. It could be like a boulder on the bottom yeah. that sticks up three feet, makes mm-hmm. a long eddy behind it, and you'll have a line of fish stack up behind that boulder. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about a couple probably billion fish moving up yeah. river at one time, like fish, they're going to be fighting for the best, yeah. most opportune spot, especially when you know cover it, and stuff like that's limited. It is funny when you get up river though, because like in prime conditions, you know, early morning, low light, mm-hmm. incoming tide, everybody's catching them. Yeah, they're not all crushing them, but everybody's catching them just good enough to be happy. Yeah, but there's two or three, maybe four boats that are just they'll catch them every cast for mm-hmm. four hours. Yeah, and everybody else catches like twenty or thirty. They're like, oh man, it was a good day. Yeah, and you're like those guys caught four hundred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is pretty disheartening when you're five feet away from another boat. And you're just not in the right spot. We've and had a, wearing them out. Jason and I have had a day where he got so bad he maybe switched sides of the boat. Yeah, we were it's, parked in front of behind one of those pilings where those two slips are. Yeah, and the fish were only in the one. Yeah. The one trench I was fishing, they were not in his trench. He'd yeah. catch like one, and yeah. I'd catch 12. Shad fishing's a cool thing because, you know, with other fish species, there's a lot of variables at play, and you're like, ah, if I did this, that, why? Like, you're trying to figure out why you're not catching them. Shad but- are like, it. all fish are like put together a puzzle, but like, yeah. shad are like a preschool puzzle. You still got to put all the pieces <laughs> in the right order, but there's not as many pieces. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> like, you know, say you're trying to catch. Like largemouth, it's like okay, like I did this, uh, not catching them. Well, there's still the factor of the fish just may not be where you're fishing. With shad, the fish are there, so it's literally it's like okay, well I know a hundred percent that the shad are there. Now I get to play the game of what color they want, what tide are we on, what's need to change. Yeah, that that's like where I think, and I think it's played into a lot of our like success with other stuff over the years is you play that game of like, okay, this variable isn't working. Let me work this. And then, okay, they're not eating a gold spoon. Let me try silver. Okay. They don't want spoons at all. Darts. And then, Oh, Grant's killing me on a fly rod. Okay. I got to learn how to fly fish. (laughs) And that's the other thing. Like it's, this is probably one of the only instances in the world where yeah. fly fishing beats spinning. like And it's not even close. No. <laughs> like it's, so I'll let you kind of explain that. Since yeah, there's something why about it works so much better. Don't really, and we honestly, a lot of us, we don't really know. It's just one of those things like, honestly, shad are one of the reasons I got into fly fishing because I've been shad fishing forever. Yeah. Loved catching them since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I would always see some dude with a fly rod just like, Later in the day, the spinning gear slows down a little bit, sun gets higher, mm-hmm. and you're, like, catching one every 10 casts, and meanwhile, the fly guys haven't missed yet. They're yeah. steady just stroking them. And you're like, what steady What water. the heck? I've got to... Stroking them. Yeah, stroking them. i got to figure that out. So, you know, I think it has a lot to do with the fly rod keeps the bait in front of them longer. Yeah. And that was always my kind of interpretation you know you're using these sacred lines and i mean should i just go into like no we'll do that in a minute but like you're using these sacred lines and flies that aren't going to sink faster than your line like Mm -hmm. the fly lines sink at a very predictable rate Mm -hmm. like most of them have an inch per second rate yeah it's a very consistent sink rate if you know where the fish are you count your line down you Mm -hmm. find them and very once the you, only yeah. thing is the retrieve once, once you, you figure it out yeah. it's the same thing every time and i mean if you go three or four casts and don't catch one then you need to go deeper or higher you yeah. need to figure out where they went and then you're just going to sit there and crush them until yeah. 
they move again. Yeah. So with a fly rod, you can figure out. Oh, they're at you know eight Ca- feet. I'm counting down nine seconds, and then two strips, right. and boom, he's on. Like, Which like with a balanced line and like something that's very predictable and easy yeah. to pattern and super easy to figure out. When you're dealing with like a shad dart, something that sinks. Or like a spoon. Like yeah, when you're throwing spinning gear, you're using either light braid or light mono. Yeah. You're using a weight, and mm-hmm. then you know you've got a swivel and a maybe a dart that's weighted. You've yeah. got a spoon that yeah. technically weighs a little bit, but the spoon's going to slow the fall. And yeah. like, it's a lot. there's way more variables involved. Yeah, you can sort of get into the like the fringes of figuring it out, like you can with yeah. with with a fly rod. Like fly rod, you figure it out and you get their number. You can do that every cast until you're tired of doing it. Yeah. With a spinning rod, you kind of like okay, like I counted to eight this time, but like it's not the same. It's not a consistent yeah. fall. Like okay, I counted eight, but I counted a little slower. Now it's below. You know, it's yeah. just. It gets tricky with the with spinning tackle. So fly absolutely yes. kind of wears them out for sure. So yeah, the um, especially on the Javes of the Potomac, the Rappahannock, you typically catch them a lot shallower. Mm-hmm. I have had days where I mean my best numbers day on shad ever was up there, um, but like all the spinning gear guys were catching them just as fast as I was. But most of the places you fish in the wrap are less than five foot of water. Yeah. I mean, hell, the place I was fishing was like two and a half feet deep. I'm yeah. standing waist deep, casting to knee deep water, yeah. watching Shad eat the fly. Like, yeah. it's it's different up there a little bit, but we'll get into all the tackle and stuff here probably now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we'll just kind of sort of segue into um, sort of the baits and flies. and, and, and Yeah, we'll start with the spinning gear, I guess. Yeah, so as far as... Um, you brought some stuff. So if, if yeah. you're listening to this, we'll try to be as descriptive as, as possible. If you're watching it, we can show the individual cameras, yeah. the, the gear we use. But um, we use uh, Nungusser spoons. That's how you pronounce it? Nungusser, Nungusser. Hey, uh, I'm sure we're pronouncing it wrong. But it's actually pronounced uh, Phil. <laughs> but it's but, a Nunguesser. Nungu- I think. I don't know. But there a, was a rumor going around for a while that Nunguesser went out of business. They did, and somebody else bought Yeah, them. I, I think, think Sea uh, Striker bought them, yeah, is what I heard. So and they were like, going to brand them under Sea Striker, but now I'm seeing Nunguesser packaging everywhere, yeah. which is great because there's no comparison. They are yeah, the yeah. best Shad Spoons. Yeah, there was like two years where, like. Yeah, like, what's that company, like Gags? Oh, I have no idea. The uh, red and white packaging. Gags, spoons, and darts. They're yeah, they fine, were, but... They weren't as good. But no. anyway, so here is just your kind of typical gold shad spoon. Um, they will come in packaging that looks like this. Yeah. Uh, so there's, Green and white with the red label. That's there's what you a, want. There's 1-0, 2-0, and 3-0. Is, that's how they break their sizes down. Yeah. The most, I just always throw the medium size. Yeah, the two o. That's the double aught. I I don't know if it's sing. I don't know. It's not two aught. It's not two aught. It's like zero zero, zero triple zero yeah. or single zero. Does it say it on that packaging you have there? This is is this a triple zero? Oh, that can't be right. I don't know. Anyway, there's big. This is the size I always throw. Yeah, there's big, which are usually sold in a one pack. There's medium, which is... Yeah, the largest ones are sold in one packs, and the two smaller sizes are sold in two mm-hmm. packs. But, like, the small, small ones, they're really small. Yeah, they're, they're not worth They're it. like an inch. Yeah, but... <laughs> I mean, it's pretty <laughs> average. <laughs> oh, that sounds pretty big. <laughs> pretty big spoon. But, uh... Does it need to be bigger than it? <laughs> yeah, that's probably all you need. Oh, here's a good comparison. I actually have two. So, I have 
the medium size one right here and then I have the small size one so you can kind of tell I'm a little far away from yeah. the camera but um, the uh, the thing is though there's a lot of spoons out there there's like the nug guessers there's the gag spoons we have these 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 are kind of up north there yeah those we don't we don't see them much down here we just started seeing them last year yeah they're long shank green I see top started carrying them when they couldn't get these yeah right I see a lot of these they're they're essentially an Aberdeen hook with like a little with like a little piece of tiny metal on the head. like almost like a very small willow leaf blade on it yeah and they're painted and I, I see these used a lot like have up, you used them yet I think I have. I don't know if I've caught anything, but I, my shad box is the literally the most expensive that, box I have. The other spoons that I see a lot are the ones that have the swivel on the top. Those yeah. are little. I don't ever seem to do that well with these. Yeah. The thing with the Nug Guessers is they don't have a swivel. They just have a split ring mm -hmm. uh, right on the top of the spoon. Um, now, when you rig these, you're going to want to have a swivel up your line. But the Nug Guessers have a lot wider and, like, crazier of an action. Mm -hmm. And that also slows the fall. Yeah. I think, you know, when I fish a spoon, I'm typically steady retrieve, like, lift it up, pop, pop, and then let it fall. Mm -hmm. And usually the second you start reeling again, they thump it. Yeah. So I think that the reason the Nug Guessers work so much better is uh, I think they slow the fall a lot. They have a really nice flutter to them, for sure. Yeah. And but, something about the Nug Guesser, you've probably noticed. Have you ever noticed that they're always hooked, like, in the bottom jaw or, like, right in the top jaw? Yeah, it seems like, like you that. Like, you could get the shad in the boat, grab the spoon, and just pop it out, mm -hmm. and you're done. Like, yeah. something about these, the way they eat it, they always seem to get caught right in the tip of the jaw, and yeah. you can grab them real easy. Yeah, I mean, my shad box, dude. I have more shad. I If I ever lose this box, I'm quitting fishing, because this is the, yeah. like, I have... It's like $500 worth of shad stuff. <laughs> yeah, just in this one little box. But they have gold and silver are like your two primaries when it comes yeah. to spoons. Dark then, water, gold, clear water, silver. Yep. And same with kind of like um, you can kind of work that same sort of principles on like cloudy and, and, yeah. and clear days. like like Yeah, dark, not necessarily dark water, but dark conditions versus clear conditions. Yeah. So like a crystal clear bluebird day, if you're going to throw a spoon – throw a silver spoon or a painted spoon. Yeah. I do real well on the painted spoons on the clearer clear. days because mm -hmm. there's not as much flash. Mm -hmm. um, but like a cloudy day or a day where the river's got mm -hmm. some color to it, gold yeah, is always your, better. Yeah, your atmospheric conditions, whether it's cloudy or clear, that you kind of have to play around with because, you know, some they might want gold one day, they might want silver, whatever. Yeah. But when it comes to water clarity, the thing you can bet on the most is – if you have dirtier water, gold's generally better, and then clear water, silver's generally better. Um, on your days where it's bright, your your painted spoons will probably work a little bit. You know, if, yeah. if it's too bright. Um, so you know, you have gold, silver. They have the pink ones here, pink or red. That's have, that specific nug guesser pink too. Mm -hmm. It's like more of like a fire red pink. Yeah. I don't know. They have the white the version, white and pink. White and then pink, white the and green. John Deere, like green and mm -hmm. gr green and chartreuse. Mm -hmm. Then there's the fire tiger, which is like chartreuse and orange. Yeah, the green, the green. <laughs> <laughs> I have just a wad of spoons here. The green is my favorite, as you can see. I have a shit ton of them. I like the pink and white the yeah. best. But there was a year, and it, it's never been replicated, but there was a year my dad and I, we called pink and white the American shad color. Mm -hmm. We had just every day, this is back when Americans were like a little more rare, but like. American shad. 
You're just saying all kinds of wild shit. <laughs> the this is back when American Shad were a little more rare. Um, they're still not super common, but back then, I mean, if you caught like three or four in a day, you noticed, yeah. and it was like that whole season, every single American Shad we caught was on pink and white. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. Shad fishing's one of those things where like it it can change by the hour, by the day. Yeah. You know, you just gotta kind of have to keep playing around, and then a lot of your personal like biases come into play like you might just be really confident with yeah the green. trust me a lot of this stuff doesn't matter as much as we make it out to yeah like, like you might just really love like i love green like i feel like i could use green and catch more fish but it yeah. might just come down to your fishing green better because it's in your brain like yeah. that you know so the and spoon- you're naturally going to catch more fish on what you have tied on the most <laughs> yeah so. yeah so i caught them all on green did yeah. you throw anything else no no <laughs> No. They no. wouldn't hit anything else because I didn't throw anything else. This is else. making incredibly good <laughs> yeah. sense right now. <laughs> but anyway, essentially how you rig a shad spoon, um, you do like typically an eighth ounce egg weight. You kind of peg that. That's on your main line. So you peg it so it doesn't slide up and down. You go to a swivel and then maybe like 24-ish inches of uh, light mono or fluoro. I typically like fluoro. And, and that just goes to your spoon. So it's essentially a Carolina rig with a spoon. Cast it out. You can do a steady retrieve. Or you can do like a – I like the heartbeat. The longer the leader, little trick of the trade, the longer the leader will usually give you a little bit more of like a slow flutter. Mm-hmm. And if the water's really clear, if they're getting picky like later in the day, mm-hmm. a lot of times if you extend that leader to like a 30-inch mm-hmm. leader, it's a little harder to cast, but you tend to get more bites. Yeah. But as far as working it, you can do you control that type of setup. You can do a steady retrieve, or I like the heartbeat. So you cast out, bup, yeah. bup, let it flutter, bup, bup, let it flutter. If any of our like spe- like saltwater guys are listed, like the way you'd fish a mirror lure, mm-hmm. that's how you fish a speckle trout or a uh, chad spoon. Right. So that's kind of just the general overview of spoons. They're probably. They're my favorite thing to fish. I like them a lot more than darts, but... I like them because they hit them so hard. Yeah. Shad thump a spoon. Yeah. You gotta, that's probably something... I don't know if we really um, mentioned it, but these fish are not necessarily eating. Yeah. They're just mad, it's and they a, want to kill something. It's sexual frustration <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> I've punched some drywall. <laughs> these no. fish swam all the way from the ocean, and they are mad about it. <laughs> yeah. They're having a bad time. They have been blue balled for thirty miles. <laughs> no, and for eleven months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, so yeah, they they just kind of want to destroy something. So spoons are really good for yeah, that. Spoons put off a lot of vibration and just yeah. scratch their brain in all the wrong ways. So yeah. they're just upset about it. Your other options are darts, which now this I, is one way that Josh and I differ with the spinning gear. Yeah, I don't like darts. Well, really. I don't love darts, but you only throw the big ones. I don't even own any of the big ones. Yeah, so. I throw the darts on the exact same rig I throw a spoon mm-hmm. on. The eighth ounce or a sixteenth ounce weight Carolina rig, yeah. and I throw the smaller darts, the ones that are like a sixty fourth. Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah. So, if if they're shallow enough to where I can throw a spoon, I'm throwing a spoon. But yeah. if I can't get them on the spoon, then I throw the darts because it's heavier. So there's yeah. a reason why I do that. But I t- I just don't like throwing the darts. I don't have as much fun with them. I don't know what it is. It's probably a mental thing, like everything else. But your main colors are a chartreuse or some variation of it. It's usually like a chartreuse and orange. And then your other main color is purple and pink. And what I've fa- color you see a lot is you have those green and white ones. I do. 
But yeah, those are really popular. as you can those see. Those are those are really popular too. I mean, he's not throwing it very much, but yeah. the green, like they've, John Deere green and yellow with like a white tail. They've just really kind of lived in this box, and I don't know. I if I'm getting to the point where I'm throwing these, I'm having a bad time because I don't like throwing these. <laughs> Zach, so. Zach Cannon might be listening. And I tied him up about sixty-four custom darts last year. There you go. Well, I tied up some really cool colored ones, man. The other thing about like darts that has a slight advantage over the spoons is you can throw them in a tandem rig. So yeah. like the spoons are spinning, so you you can't do like a dart and a spoon at the same time because they'll get it all. A lot of people up. try to do that tandem rig. Don't. Shit show. It's so. But much of a nightmare to rig. You can do a tandem dart rig. So yeah. you do, you, and that that's a good way to sort of figure out what they want because you can. If do, um if you're from North Carolina and you're listening. Or even like southeast of Virginia, there's a thing called a speck rig, speckled trout mm-hmm. rig, where they have the two like feather jig heads mm-hmm. doubled up. They're for throwing in the surf for specks when they're running up the beaches. Mm-hmm. It's literally the same thing, just on a smaller scale. Well, and the cool thing is like you can do a chartreuse one. Yeah, you could double up your colors. Yep. You do a chartreuse one, you can do a purple, pink, colors. or whatever, and then you can figure out what. It's yeah. very easy to decipher, okay, they want this color this day. But, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, darts are what they are. I'm not really a huge fan of them, but they're good at... The only... I mean, I can count on, like, one hand how many times I've had a day where a dart just mm-hmm. completely massacred everything else. Yep. It's usually weird conditions where, like, yep. the river's dirty or something like that. Yeah, but, um, I don't know. This is... We good over there, are we? Maybe having some technical difficulties. Are we good? I don't think it was doing it on my screen. This this thing we have is like blinking every the now and then, mixer. cutting the cutting the video feed out. But um, I this is my personal experience with it. It might be different for for you or anybody else listening, but I typically like the chartreuse colors on the days where I have clear water, purple and pink when the water's dirtier. a little dirtier, but. You know that that all that all those variables change very frequently, yeah. but that's essentially kind of the. I've run. done really well on. I'll talk about it here, but I've done really well on red when the water's dirty. Mm-hmm. But that's essentially like your kind of rundown of your terminal gear for spin fishing. Um, as far as like your rod and reel setups go, I'll just kind of touch on that briefly before we jump into anything else. But um, you're gonna want. Uh, a micro ac- or a micro light or a light action rod. Seven foot is probably the better length. You can get a little bit more casting dif- distance yeah, out of that. Anything six six or longer, mm-hmm. it can be tough to find a light in a seven foot. Yeah. They start getting so whippy. TFO has a good seven foot. Uh, I think it's ultra seven foot ultralight trout slash panfish rod. Yeah. It's like a ninety dollar rod. It's really good lifetime warranty, and it's just a perfect rod for throwing this stuff. Um, but you pair that with like a 1,000 size reel. You can use a 2,500 fault if that's all you have. Or, you know, 500 might be fun. But essentially you want something in that like smaller range and you want it paired. If you're using braid, like probably... Five or eight pound. Yeah, five pound braid, you can get a lot more casting distance. Ten pound braid at probably at the max. You can find, but, you can find eight in a lot of the like flat braids now and that's mm-hmm. what I switched to with my spinning gear I've got 8 pound uh, what is it, it's that X9 mm-hmm. that Berkley X9 because it's mm-hmm. flat it, it's just as small as 5 pound yeah and that then like nice. as far as leader 
you know, 10-pound floor or something. Yeah. But you, you kind of get the idea. You want a lighter action. You want something balanced that will cast really yeah. well. But you want, you know, these are shad. They're all pretty much going to be less than 2 pounds for a hickory yeah. shad most of the time. So you don't want to, like, use something that's too heavy that just negates all the fight that the fish might have. Yeah, so they're going to be fun ones. You want to keep a, a light action setup going for the most part. But they're a lot of fun. You catch a lot of fish this way. But... You can just kind of jump into the fly stuff now, I suppose. Talk yeah. about the flies we're using. And yeah, so the uh, the fly side of things, I mean, it's you can kind of come at it a couple ways. You know, if, if you're out there just to target shad, um, any fly rod from like a 5 up to mm-hmm. the max, I would say, would be like an 8 weight uh, will be usable. Um, I prefer an 8 for the James. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the James, our fish typically run deeper than mm-hmm. they do in like the Rappahannock or the Potomac. They fish for them the same way we fish for them in the James. Mm-hmm. But um, you need to use a heavier sink tip line. Uh, the line I typically run is anything 250 to 300 grain in the sink tip range. Uh, if you're running a six weight, you could get away with like a 200 because your running line will be so thin. But. Um, you know, anything 200 grade or above. And the trick to look for, um, it's not 100% required, but um, make sure the whole line is sinking. So um, a lot of these lines out now, like the Scientific Anglers makes one called the Triple Density Line, and uh, it's like a sink 357, so it progressively gets heavier as you get to the head, mm-hmm. and even the running line sinks. Mm-hmm. So that way you have a straight line to the fly, even though the line is sinking, you're not going to have all that lag. A lot of uh, a lot of fly lines will have a sink tip, like a 24-foot sink tip, like, for instance, uh, Rio Streamer Max or Streamer whatever, one of their trout lines, will have a 20-foot sink tip, and then it'll have... 60 foot of running line but the running line floats right so even though your sink tip will pull that running line underwater you're gonna have this big lag in your line yeah. and it'll work early in the day with the shatter just crushing the fly but later in the day they're just kind of eating it while you're stripping it you're mm-hmm. not gonna feel it and you'll miss a lot of fish like that so um at just to name a few lines off like the teeny depth charge line is good that they come in like 300 grade um Airflow 40 plus is good. Same thing, 250, 300. They have an intermediate running line, so they'll sink. Um, Scientific Anglers, Streamer Express, Scientific Anglers, Triple Density, Rio Striper. Um, I think the only one Rio makes is the Rio Striper that has a intermediate running line. That's what I ran for years, and it's it's a great line. But um, match the line up with the rod. Typically in the James, we run something like a 7 inch per second or faster. Mm -hmm. You don't want much slower than that because you'll have to wait too long. And if you're out there some days where the river's got a little more flow, sometimes those lines that sink 5, 4 or 5 inches per second, they just won't ever get down. The current will keep them up. Yeah. So something 7 or 8 inches per second or faster is what you want. Um in terms of leader, uh, it's nothing really to it. You know, when you're fishing a long sink tip like that, you don't want to use a nine-foot leader because then you get the same thing, you know, that lag to the yeah. fly. So um, typically I'll just do like a little butt section of 20-pound fluoro, tie that to like an itty-bitty little micro swivel, mm-hmm. and then off the bottom of the swivel I'll run maybe like 16 inches to two feet of whatever your tippet wants to be, eight or 10-pound fluoro, whatever. Right. 
that way, you know, from fly to the end of the fly line, you're talking maximum of four feet. Right. And even four feet's a little longer than I throw. Um, these fish aren't line shy at all. But um, in terms of flies, any kind of small, brightly colored, I mean, you could throw little clousers and stuff, but if you look on the screen, if you're watching this on YouTube, or if you want to look at my, I actually just posted this whole box of flies for sale on my story. Um, they're just little, small, like marabou-tailed flies with little puffball for a head, a little bit of flash. I mean, they're you could kind of go crazy if you're getting into fly tying. Tying shad flies is a great way to like yeah. learn and catch fish on what you tie. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite colors is electric chicken, just pink and chartreuse. We have a, a video on the. Uh, of this exact fly. This might actually be the fly I tied the video. The Have Rods Will Travel YouTube. There, or yeah. Have Rods Will Travel.com. There's a... There's a Shad Fly How to fly tie yeah. Shad Fly video. Yeah. And it's... There's nothing really to them. I mean, here's some that are actually like Clouser style. Just little lead eyes on the bottom. And Don't guys throw Crelexes for them? Yeah. To kind of mimic yeah. sort of the, like the spoon Yeah, it's like a, shirt, like a silver and gold Crelex mm-hmm. is great. Um... You can throw a lot of stuff at them. Any small, little, brightly colored fly will work. Right. Like a size 8 to, like, maybe a size 4 hook. Size 4s get a little big. So probably like an 8 or a 6. Right. And it'll be fine. Um, in terms of retrieve and how you target them, like I said, those lines, they come with an IPS rating that's inches per second, how mm-hmm. fast they sink. So if you're finding the fish or you know the way i typically start my line sinks around eight to ten inches a second so i just kind of round that up to a foot mm-hmm. and cast out at like a 45 degree down river let it swing and i just count it down i'll start at lucky number seven every time just mm-hmm. count it down seven seconds and little short like three inch strips with a pause in there maybe five six strips like strip 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 stop Mm-hmm. Strip, 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 strip. Just pause for like one second. That's all they need. Because a lot of times, my opinion, I think they see that fly coming. They're following it, following it. Then it starts going up river, and that half second that it stops, they just bite it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean they strip strike them. You know, don't try to trout set them with a heavy sinking line because you're not gonna get the hook in them with the rod. Yeah. Um, they do have a fairly bony mouth when you like think about it. I mean, it's all gill plates and mm-hmm. cartilage there. If you try to set with the rod with a heavy sinking line, your fly rod's just going to noodle on you. Yeah. Give them a little with, short extra strip and pin them and you'll be fine. I hate with my rod noodles. <laughs> but uh, I'm actually going to have to take that rod off the wall. I uh, Yeah. I'm going to need that. Actually, I'm going to need both of these setups here. I, I haven't really... Well, we're going to need that reel. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the rod was... Uh, uh, it got retired, so I'm gonna have to take that Siegler off the wall and that TFO A2X off the wall and get to work here pretty soon. Actually, I'm gonna have to do that tonight. So yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have to wrap this up before too long. I have to dismantle the set so I can go fishing tomorrow. Yeah, but um, but yeah, the the fly setup. I mean, I don't exactly know why it works so much better. I think it's just the consistency and that you can consistently get the fly in the exact yeah. same location. Because it is, it's definitely true. The later in the day you go, the higher the sun gets, better light penetration in the water. I think they move to attack. A little deeper. I think they move less to attack too. Like they're oh, not yeah, willing yeah. to shoot four feet out of their way to grab something. Yeah, for sure. And where if you get into a line of these fish and you're stripping a fly right by their face, they'll 
they'll just mm-hmm. bite it. But right. in terms of gear, I mean, that's about it. Yeah, and like if you're in a boat, you know, utilize your electronics. Oh yeah. Like if you have down imaging, 100%. side imaging, side scan. Uh, Hell, live scope. Live scope <laughs> at this point. Like, figure out what depth these fish are at, and I mean, it's literally all the work is done for you. You go down the, go down the river. What depth are you marking them? Okay, they're at eight foot in fifteen foot of water, middle of the water column. Cool. Count down to seven or eight. Boom. There you go. Like, it's literally that easy. So, and, I mean, even if you don't like looking for fish on the depth finder, you can use your electronics to find current breaks. Like, if you mm-hmm. notice a drop off or a sudden mm-hmm. stop in the channel i mean a lot of times those fish big rocks yeah i mean like they'll, there's places it's smack dab in the middle of the river that you wouldn't even think hold fish mm-hmm. that hold a lot of fish yeah so you just gotta kind of look if you find any sort of current break on the bottom they're gonna be behind it yeah for sure i think we've pretty much covered all of the shad talk for this so that the reason why we hit the shad first is because the best part about the shad run is bait comes easy. So yeah. you catch these shad, you can then take those shad and turn them into bigger fish, which is all people care about anyway. So <laughs> you literally, the, the other part of the shad run is you have big catfish rolling up river. They're way more like aggressive and willing to eat because there's food everywhere. Everybody's competing with one another. If I don't eat this bait right now, somebody else is going to eat it. And it's, Everything's kind of ramped up. They're putting on weight, too, leading up to their Yeah, because they're getting ready to spawn in like a month as yeah, well. Yeah, they're, so. they're going to spawn probably... Late May. You know, flatheads are usually middle of May, end of May. Blue cats, I think, are maybe a little earlier than that here. But either way, these fish have essentially a two-month window to pack on some pounds. Yeah. So they're eating heavily. So that's, that's kind of like... I'd say that's probably the only time we really blew catfish heavily is yeah. i mean really catfish heavily at all is during the shad run because it's easier i mean bait's easier you don't have to run a gill net you don't have to really mess with yeah. the cast net you can catch your bait and it's fun doing it um but i think we just kind of touch on some sort of catfish stuff i know a lot of people are interested in that and maybe yeah. there's some newbies out there that need a little info yeah i mean it's pretty pretty basic stuff i mean don't I I don't buy into all these crazy rigs you're starting to see mm-hmm. pop up on the internet for catfish. Like, if you want to catch catfish and you, you know, there's different techniques. You can drift for them. You can anchor. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the age-old just catch a hickory shed, cut him, you know, stake him out, get him maybe five, six pieces out of a reasonable size hickory shed, mm-hmm. and six or eight-ounce weight and a eight-ounce circle hook. Carolina rigged and you're good like yeah. you don't need a long leader you know foot and a half leader yeah. at the most you actually don't want a long leader because a stake of shad's gonna spin in the current yeah you use about a i usually use about 12 inches max yeah and then yeah swivel to a line finder rig at a mm-hmm. seven or a six or an eight ounce pancake sinker and you're good yeah so essentially when it comes to cutting fish up i typically the best way to do it Keep yourself, you know, if you're really going to catfish hard, keep yourself, you know, like, maybe half a dozen shad, yeah, something like that. Four to six. I mean, unless there's, like, multiple people on the boat or whatever. Yeah. But, like, when when you're solo and you're fishing solo and you're maybe not going as hard as some of these dudes in these professional catfish setups, 
Keep yourself half a dozen shad. You can usually get a couple steaks out of a shad. I I know I run bigger baits than you do, but yeah. I typically like something, you know, maybe about the width of my hand, maybe a little less. I typically far- use the head as a guide. I'll start at the head mm-hmm. and cut right up behind the gill plate, and then I kind of like, yeah. I, I do it by eye now, but if you want to use it as like a guide, take the head, lay it over the body, and cut steaks yeah. that size. It That's- also depends on like... How easy you're catching bait that day? If you work your ass off, you're yeah. Gonna... If you work your ass off to catch three, you might get seven pieces of bait <laughs> out of prolong one. Prolong those things, but yeah. uh, you got to think. There's like there's a there's a ton of fish in the river right now, so there you're gonna need something that holds more scent, more yeah. meat, more blood holds more scent. So I typically like using bigger pieces of bait, but there's and it limits. I mean, those bigger pieces of bait limit those little dinky catfish too. Yeah, because... well, it doesn't stop them from nibbling on it. They yeah, definitely it, show up. It'll but they stay won't. down there long enough for a big one to find it. That's another thing. You do have a lot of smaller fish coming in. They Billions. are annoying. Yep. Billions. But I I like. I mean, I'll drop a whole shad down. Just depends on how how hard it is to come by but typically your head is generally your best piece um then you have you know your two or like your first two pieces after that yeah like two or three middle sections and the tail i typically toss the tail um there's no blood in the tail it doesn't really get you anywhere when you get within about three inches of the tail there's not much yeah you gotta think blood is all that's where your flavor's at there's not a lot of blood in the tail once you get past like the poop hole. There's really yeah. nothing left. <laughs> but and once again, if you're keeping shad strictly for bait, it's not a law. It's just a general conservation minded thing. Yeah. If you're gonna keep shad for bait, try to keep males. Yeah. I mean, if you're just gonna cut them up, there's no reason to dump all those eggs in the river and not yeah. let them get fertilized. Yeah. Just so there's typically about a hundred males for every one female anyway. Well, and the good way to think about this too is. Males broadcast spawn. Yeah. So one male can fertilize many female eggs. Yeah. But if there's no females to fertilize, then yeah. you know we've all been there. You're we can kill a ma- oblivion. <laughs> you can kill a male, and his role in the ecosystem will instantly be replaced by another male. Right. You kill a female; those eggs are gone. Right. So, just yeah. conservation minded. It's not that hard to find out if it's a male or a female. Yeah. Just give a little squeeze. The male will let you know pretty quick. Just don't get it in your eyes. The females but, um, are usually much fatter anyway. Yeah, it's I mean, not you, very hard to yeah, distinguish can, the two. You can tell. But, um, but, yeah, let the big ones go and and keep the males. Like I said, one one male shad. We've never noticed either to batter for bait. No, it's for just, sure. Actually, like, I typically like the males more because the females, like, it's hard to keep that row sack. Yeah, it's kind of wasting all, all it. All that stuff just falls out anyway. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't taste as good raw as what you'd think. <laughs> so do not eat it, um, no matter how appetizing it looks. But yeah. <laughs> as far <laughs> just keep the males. But anyway, as far as um, the, let's see, blues we, typically like the cut bait. Flatheads, early season flatheads, like flatheads in March up here and the water's still in the 50s. You'll get those on cut bait too. And then as spring progresses, you'll want to use more live bait, your yeah. white perch or, you know, live shad. When I, herring was legal. Yeah. God. Yeah, well. I caught so many on live herring back then. Mm-hmm. But um, that kind of gives you that idea. Um, as you approach Richmond, like within the city, you get closer to those rocks and stuff, you'll start running into more flatheads. 
Um, but, you know, that's kind of what you can expect around the city of Richmond. A lot of blues, a lot of flatheads, especially in April. The flatheads fl- have a tendency to be much more structure-oriented mm-hmm. than blues. Blues will ride a channel edge. They'll mm-hmm. sit on a flat. They'll they'll just kind of cruise. Yep. As far as gear goes, you want like a 7 to 7.5 foot uh, heavy action rod. Um, I run Big Cat Fevers. There's the Hellcat Rod Series as well, but... Pretty, you know, you don't have to get fancy. You don't need jigging rod, you know, offshore yeah. jigging rods or anything. Literally, just, just the heavy catfish rods with, um, you know, good catfishing reels can be anything. You know, I run Seaglers, but I have those for more bigger game applications. You know, white sturgeon stuff like that. Like, if you're just doing blue cats here in the city or anywhere along the shad run, you can get away with. Abu 6500s or Abu like Pen Squall or Pen Squall. Yeah. Abu 7000s are nice. That That's what I grew up throwing was Abu 7000s, the big round reels. But You could go about a couple different ways too with line. Some people use heavy braid. A lot of the catfish guides just run 40 pound mono. Yep. 40 pound. A lot of these fish get around structure and stuff. There's a lot of The junk. abrasion resistance of mono is worth considering. Yeah. It's, it's nice. And honestly, in my opinion, I like setting you know we typically run circle hooks mm-hmm. um i think circle hooks get set better with mono right i think something about that stretch and it like delays your pulling on them like you can't set too hard because mm-hmm. with braid with no stretch even if you just crank on them mm-hmm. i think sometimes that pulls the hook out so Dude, fast it doesn't get set i yeah. think that little bit of lag with the stretch of mono helps but yeah. hard to say so if you're gonna run mono run probably 50 pound berkeley big game i used to use 30 pound berkeley big game back in the day but um i still Once run you get up above 40 or 50 pound mono i i don't think brand or matters yeah. that much I, whether it's on d oh yeah. yeah i just as far yeah, as something you can ready. grab at walmart or whatever or i i like running berkeley big game 50 yeah. as my yeah, leader, berkeley leader big games material. everywhere mm-hmm. But then, um, you know, you can use that free mainline. You can use braid. If you're going to use... In all honesty, I mean, mainline, I don't even think you need to go all that heavy. I mean, no, you really. ran 30 pound for years, forever. didn't you? Yeah, forever. Yeah. I mean, I, I always ran 40, 40 pound. I was just using the Bass Pro Tightline motto mm-hmm. for for mainline. Yeah. But I ran, I think for liter, $1.50 spools of Zebco motto at yeah. Walmart. Yeah. I used 50 pound Zebco motto for liter never yeah. lost a fish on that stuff or never broke a fish off i should the say. only thing to consider is like if you run braid you want to run heavy braid because your braid is typically like a smaller diameter yeah so like you're gonna want to use like i mean this siegler right here is spooled up with a hundred pound power pro and it's not so much that i need that hundred pound breaking strength is i need it for just whatever abrasion. abrasion resistance i can get from yeah i mean you know, fifty or sixty-five pound braids gonna break when it touches anything. Yeah, I mean, especially under like tension of a big fish. Mm-hmm. But you see how quick it breaks at the bridge with the drum. Mm-hmm. I mean, even hundred pound braid at the bridge. Yeah, well, anything, fluoro, anything yeah. slices there. But when you touch a you touch an oyster, it's done. Yeah, but it's just something to consider. I like using braid personally. Just I don't know. It's it's just I like having more line capacity. That's not really necessary with these type of catfish but if you're gonna go braid go heavier braid just because you broke off a fish on 80 pounds does not mean it was a giant fish it could have easily been a 20 pounder that hit something and just rocks yeah hit some rocks and popped you off braid is bad with abrasion resistance so but um as far as whether you're rolling up to cast 
in set up in a spot or you're drifting. Either way, I like using a Carolina rig. Um, that's the simplest rig of all. Mainline through a big piece of lead. Yeah. Swivel. You can either run like the inline hook. pancake weights, or you could run like the no roll sinkers on mm-hmm. like a line finder rig. Mm-hmm. I like the. Um, I always liked the line finder rig with a no roll because if your weight gets hung, you can snap that off and get mm-hmm. everything back with the exception of the weight. Yep, I like big uh, frog's tongue sinkers. They're yeah. kind of catching the current, like in the in the mud and stuff. Uh, if you're on the lower James, but kind of depends if, if you're drifting um like a five ounce egg sinker works really well with like a short leader but it just kind of you got to play around to what works best in your area but um typically you know in these heavier tidal rivers we have a lot of current you probably want something around the eight ounce range maybe sometimes 12 ounces depending on how you heavy a bait you're that using big chunk of shads could grab a lot of current mm-hmm. i mean it's not necessarily you need it to hold you need it to hold the bait not yeah. not for the current yeah the, the well, bait just gets spinning the other thing too is like if you if your bait is moving it's getting every opportunity to run into something yeah. hanging up so actually heavier lead kind of helps and that's situation. another thing with all these crazy rigs you'll see you see guys running those rigs with like zara spooks in line mm-hmm. and stuff and rattles and mm-hmm. all that stuff catches current and yeah. you need to add more and more lead to counteract that like yeah just it's a catfish they can't see that well they're on the bottom it's dark yeah just Bait, lead, done. Yep. Don't overcomplicate it. But as far as... T- I can get your opinion here, but as far as tides go, I typically find that outgoing yeah, with is the best. Yeah, catfish always. It's kind of all tidal fish-like outgoing. Yeah. I, and the, the idea... I personally enjoy fishing incoming better because if we're drifting, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> it makes the drift easier. Yeah. But outgoing, they want 100% eat better. Essentially, I... My viewpoint on like why outgoing is better is you have more water in the river, so I mean, f- it, predator the, fish know what's going on. I mean, it's any sort of predator is going to eat better on outgoing. Yeah, well, what it is, the water's higher, so high tide, all these fish are out of the river channel, up on the flats. Those big fish don't necessarily want to be up on the flats. Well, no. okay, the tide shifts. Now that water is coming out. Those fish are pushing they off pull the out bank to the edges. Of, they don't want yeah. to get caught by a cormorant in shallow water, so they're going to push deep right into a your catfish, catfish that's or sitting your there striper. Right. Yeah. So outgoing tide is typically best. Um, your downriver spots, like if you're fishing the James, your downriver spots below the city, like below Ancaros, are typically going to be better. And um, uh, catfish like a lot of the same stuff that shad do. If you think about it, current breaks. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily big structure, but they'll like a hump or a... Trees. Yeah. Any, any, any Anything sort of... that can give them a break from the current. Because mm-hmm. they are, even though they're big and lazy, they, they are ambush predators. Yeah. They they want the bait to come to them, and they want to be able to surprise it. So, yeah. so as far as fishing, you know, you fish from shore, you're kind of limited. But if you're in a boat or a kayak, like, you can do it two different ways. You can set up and wait for them to come to you. Yeah. But a good, like, way to go about it is something that... I kind of implemented and showed you, and then we kind of started doing it together years ago, was drifting for for catfish. And that's now become, like, a regular thing for guys to do out of kayaks. Yeah, you see a lot of guys doing it now. Like, I... I That used to be, like, the most popular article you had on the old website. Yeah, the old website, I wrote an article, Drifting for Blues, and specifically out of the kayak. I took some stuff I was seeing in the catfishing world... Uh, just the mainstream catfishing world implemented it into the kayaks and then I wrote a little article on it but um, 
essentially you're going and you're putting those baits in front of the fish instead of waiting for the fish yeah. to come to your bait. So you may um, p- you may pass by a lot of fish that mm-hmm. don't eat it, but you're still putting it in front of that right. many fish. Right. And the good thing is like it's very simple this time of year. The fish are on the channel edges. That's yeah. where they're at. That's that's there they want to live in deep water, but the baits in shallow water the place where those two things converge is channel edge. So yeah. you're going to want to just have your, your catfishing set up like a five ounce egg sinker to the swivel and the leader, probably a short leader. Yeah. Short leader. When you're, you're, you're kind of bouncing your, your lead's hitting the bottom. You're feeling, I'm going to try depth. that knocker rig this year. Instead mm-hmm. of doing the Carolina, I'm just going to run a hook at a lead and see what happens. Oh yeah. Like yep. we did for the drama. I think it'll work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I don't care. Yeah. But that, that's kind of, the, a better way to catch them you just kind of go to the top of the section you want to fish you drop your bait down and, and yeah, you especially just... if you're in a kayak you don't have that much range mm-hmm. this is getting your bait in front of as many fish as possible mm-hmm. with the, the least amount of effort mm-hmm. where if you're in a boat you can just run wherever you want yeah so yeah so it's a good way like if you're in a kayak you only have one or two rods you don't want to throw out a spread i mean a lot of times this works so well you can only one run run oh one god there's been time. plenty of times you don't even try to run to yeah but it's, it's a lot, lot of little fish but yeah you'll load up on a big one oh yeah pretty often and the it's fun too because you you're it's like zero drag you're like fighting that fish immediately yeah. they're not grabbing the bait they running or anything super green when they you hit, hit and, yeah you you stick them yeah. immediately so it's 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 a fun fight for sure you're fighting it's very up close and personal so you hook a big one in like they'll wrap the rod around your kayak and mm-hmm. you just start getting pulled out to the middle yeah. of the river it's fun so as far as fishing it's like the only time i enjoy blue cat <laughs> yeah we we have a kind of a blue cat problem here it's like uh, why do you not like when do you like catching blue cats well when i'm catching them in the like the weirdest way possible is when it's fun when you're supposed to be catching them yeah like not not when you're gar fishing and the other thing i mean we're talking about drifted because we're used to being kayak specifically if you're in a boat like don't get the mindset that you need to be really close to richmond because that's where all the bait is the bait when the shad run gets in like full force josh is stuck to his chair right now (laughs) the varnish (laughs) the can you? It literally sounds like I'm ripping my clothes off. Oh my yeah. I just I recorded before this, so I've been in this chair a while. So me and the chair becoming They're one. Music. We're 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 commingling. No, but, um, I got these chairs from some dude's attic, and like the varnish is trash. So you know, I'm just ruining my clothes. So it's fine. But anyway, if you're in a boat, like don't feel like you need to be within a mile of the city because that's where all the fish are. Yeah. When it's good i mean i've had buddies of mine send me pictures of hickory shad that they're catching at turkey island Mm -hmm. 20 miles down river and they're still marking schools of shad and catching catfish there so i mean as long as you're somewhere above hopewell Mm -hmm. you're gonna benefit from all of these catfish being fired up from the shad run i mean most of the big catfish guides are not fishing anywhere near richmond they come up to richmond to catch their bait and you'll see them yeah you'll see all the guides with seven or eight people on the boat sometimes catch their shed and then they immediately leave yeah like they're not they're not fishing within a mile of the city so do yeah. yourself a favor if you're in a boat catch your shed have your fun with the shed if you want to go catfishing go down river and get away from yeah. the craziness because it's not worth yeah you gotta think too those big fish they don't want motors running over them all yeah. day yeah i mean get away from the fish a good place to find those fish is a mud flat 
that's adjacent to the hard drop immediately off. next to a channel edge. So because what's going to happen is those fish are going to be deep. The tide comes up. They're going to push up onto the flat. The shatter are pushing up onto the flat, and then they're up there mingling around doing whatever, and then they're going to push back deep. So anywhere you can any anywhere you can fish the most part like the the most areas of the water columns the best you can have a, a rod up on the flat a rod kind of closer to the edge a rod on the edge a rod straight down and a, a rod, rod out in the channel. you know a rod yeah. out in the channel rod deep you can kind of hit all areas and then you'll figure out sort of where yeah. they're at but essentially the channel edge is a highway and those fish are using it to move it's everything like, uses it the bait uses it mm-hmm. and the predators yep, use big it, so. catfish big striper they're using that sharp channel edge as sort of a wall of like okay i'm gonna move up river i'm following this so you're you're essentially just setting up there and, and heading them off yeah and you're doing the same thing when you're drifting you're coming down that channel edge and you're either hitting those fish that are moving up river or you're hitting fish that have stopped so yeah that's sort of the gist with the catfish scene that time of year Fish the channel edges, um, use fresh bait, you know, keep that bait sort of cycling it out, you know, keep fresh bait down there. You got to think. It depends on how easy the shad are. If you if you have half a dozen shad cut up, you don't need to let that bait sit out there more than 15 minutes. I yeah. mean, you can put fresh bait out pretty consistently. Yeah, and you kind of need to if you're really serious about doing it because there's so much food there. Like, yeah. why would you eat an old leather shoe when there's, yeah. you know, brand a new? billion shed right there in front of your face fresh so there's very few places in the river once april gets here that you couldn't anchor and while you're catfishing probably still catch shad mm -hmm. like if you tried hard enough and sat there and cast a spinner rod you'd probably still catch some shad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that kind of covers the catfish section of this Um, we have one more major species that we can kind of be touch on it's really a lot of it gets reused i mean the rigs are the same and the only thing it changes really with the stripers, I notice the incoming is always better. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the striper because they're also a seagoing fish, they're using that same shad mentality where yeah. they're moving with the current and coming back with the current. They yeah. don't want to be shallow. No. You know, and, and nighttime, like the, there's two different categories of striper. You have your big cow striper, and, your and then you have your schoolies. The cow striper show up early with the shad. As the tide comes in, they're moving upriver. As the tide's going out, they're, they're moving back to they deep water. They are more glued to the bait than mm-hmm. the blues are. The blues are lazier. You can catch the blues everywhere. You catch the stripers, but those blues are still going to be there regardless. Their blues are more opportunistic. They're not going very far. Striper yeah. on the hunt. Yeah. So your big ones, you know, your incoming tide, they're moving upriver. Your outgoing tide, they're moving down. That's all you. That's the best piece of information you could know. Your spots, you know, it's super secretive kind of everywhere. But um, essentially, the channel edge is money. You're going to want baits on the channel edge. Same with the catfish. And uh, just kind of find those areas where you can sort of ambush them, where you have a choke point, yeah. where, you know, they have to come by your the bait. The fish highways. Right. Where, where the water is tight. They don't have a lot. Less water is better as far as finding fish goes but those fish come in early and they typically leave pretty quickly as yeah. far as big they're ones. not the big cows are not here that long yeah you're not gonna have like a ton of giant fish in may like right now is probably the best time into march beginning of april that's yeah. when you're gonna have like your 40 and 50 pounders in the river with enough abundancy to catch them yeah um 
for instance, a guy in our club caught a 73-pounder yeah. maybe 10 years ago in Virginia Anglers Club. Caught a 73-pounder right in, I mean, right at Anchor is what we're talking about. Yeah. So those there are giant fish. Daylight, that, yeah, too. in broad daylight. It was a complete anomaly. Typically, nighttime seems to be I better mean, for these things. My biggest striper ever was in, it wasn't broad daylight. I mean, it was in the day, but it was a nasty, dreary day yeah. way down river. But yeah. that was that 48-incher that I caught. Mm-hmm. But uh, typically, like, striper, like a lot of predators, they want to hunt at night. So yeah. nighttime seems to be the right time. And you can kind of figure it out off of that. Um, you can catch them on lures and stuff. I haven't had enough success with it to really tell you what to do one way or another. Um, but then schoolies, schoolies are the thing that kind of everybody here loves. It's like a continuation of the shad run. Yeah. There's a ton of small striper rolling up river. Late April, early May. Is They're like, fun. They hit top water. Yeah. They fight pretty good. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of them out there. Um, swim baits are always yeah. big. A little four-inch white swim bait will catch every schoolie that swims up that river. Yeah. You got to think, like, everything's competing to eat, so they're not going to – If it, my, you just got to get it in front of them, My basically. personal opinion, I think those little schoolies eat a lot more white perch than they do anything else mm-hmm. just because of their size. I mean, a, a 22-inch schoolie's going to have a hard time choking down it a herring you know he could eat it yeah but realistically he's gonna have a lot better chance of eating thread fins and eating yeah white perch what he's that size thread fins and other shad species that come up river that we didn't really talk about but um well they're just they're kind of smaller they're They're in the river year round and they're like a they're a supplemental food source yeah they're like a i think they're like more like a six inch I mean, that like sort their max. Most yeah. of the ones they're eating are little peanut shed. They're yeah. like two inches long. But yeah. anyway, yeah, the the schoolies, I mean, I always kind of played it off of the white perch showing up. Whenever the white perch started getting caught a lot as bycatch, you know, when you're shad fishing later in the season, the white perch, you're catching a dozen or more of them in a mm-hmm. day completely accidental while you're shad fishing. Yeah. When that starts happening, you can typically start guaranteeing the schoolies are close behind yeah seems like i don't know if they're necessarily following them more or if they just show up at the same time yeah but they definitely i mean you see a lot of guys late in the season rigging live white perch and they catch the hell out of schoolies on live white perch but schoolies are the same deal you can catch them on surf gear up up near the rapids they're fun big plugs and big Big plugs top water swim baits i think bama rigs maybe you can get them on i troll bama rigs for them a lot they smoke them yeah they'll hit just about anything they're they're hyper competitive trying to eat so there's another species um you know they start showing up maybe like the first two or three weeks in april and they kind of last almost until june it feels like at the end of april like They, I mean, they last till June. Like, May is the schoolie month. That's yeah. when everybody... Because it's... I think it helps when the bait thins out. Yeah. And you can start catching them better. Yeah. So when there's too much bait, I mean, they're a predator. They're Why mm-hmm. are they going to eat a little swim bait when they got a billion bait fish mm-hmm. on around them? Yep. But they're, they're fun as well. They're really not... I mean, it's kind of the same deal. You want to catch schoolies, go down to 14th Street at the end of April and just watch what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Kind of, you learn a lot of stuff this time you're doing that. Like I said, everybody's polishing and dusting off their stuff they've had set up all, all winter. You're seeing all kinds of crazy shit at the boat ramp. Nobody can back a trailer down. Big big cabin cruisers launching. They haven't been started since last year. They don't season. have a cat. They don't have a boater's course or anything. Yeah. They're just getting ready to run you Guys over. Guys don't have a clue what a no wake zone is. Nothing. Just... You, there's hundreds of people on the bank. You got 
dudes that don't even have a driver's license, like six DUIs operating a boat. Like it, it's really, it's, it's kind of surprising. Our saving grace is that there's nowhere to rent boats within. <laughs> yeah. any, if you could be like that, that, youtube channel or that it's tiktok guy credit credit card captain is the other one yeah he's the one who makes fun of all the people that like you could just swipe your credit card and you're a captain you could buy it rent a boat for the day yeah if we had that in richmond can you imagine all the college kids oh dude it yeah no it would be game over there'd be a hundred fatalities a weekend with college kids like drunk kids running over people with pontoon boats yeah it would happen every day yeah yeah so that that's essentially the shad run in a nutshell. Um, it's a lot of people, but there's a lot of fish, so it's kind of everything in abundance. It's one of those things. It's like the only time of year that it's not that you don't mind fishing around a lot of people, but it doesn't bother you that much. Yeah. You, you know what you to expect. Yeah, I mean, the most aggravating part is, like, rushing to get off work, hooking your boat up, getting down to the ramp, and then you're, like, four deep, and there's some dude trying to unload his jet skis and it's like what the hell are you doing and then guys who can't back a truck that's yeah. kind of the aggravation once you're on the water you're good or a lot of i mean our old tribe of people but a lot of kayak fishermen do not understand boat ramp etiquette yeah get if you if you're listening to this and you really don't know what you're doing get a cart <laughs> get your stuff ready before you get down yes. there dump it off do like, not block the lane. Get like, every, get all of your stuff done in the parking lot, and when you put your boat in the water, scoot your kayak over to the side and get out of the way, and it'll make yes. everything else you know work smoother. Yeah. But the easiest way to do it is get you a cart, like maybe for say the new Yak Attack bar cart or the Bugster. Shameless <laughs> plug. Any uh any kind of kayak cart makes this a lot easier because you don't even have to mess with the ramp. Yeah, you could load all your stuff up in the parking lot. Put your kayak on the cart, wheel it down there, and you're done. You get in the water and go. Yeah. But, like, you have too many kayak anglers that back down the ramp with their kayak on top of their Subaru. Mm-hmm. Then they unload it into the middle of the ramp for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Then they load everything up. And then someone backs a trailer down beside them. And for some reason, they get mad. <laughs> it's like, just, it's a boat ramp. In and out. Like, yeah. Well, needless to say, it goes for kayak fishermen and, and boaters all, all too, boaters and everything. Square your shit before you get in the way. Yes. It, 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 there's a lot of people like, trying to do a lot If you're getting ready to come shad here. fishing, maybe hook the fake a lake up to your boat. <laughs> yeah. Make sure, sure your boat starts before you come to the ramp. Or, that would be a good or thing. Or if you're backing your jet ski down the ramp, don't unhook the nose before you get anywhere near the water and dump your jet ski halfway or down the ramp. And then get in everybody's way for If you're two towing hours. like a 24-foot pod tube boat with a Ford Ranger, maybe make sure it can actually pull it up the hill. I <laughs> I think I've already told this story in one of our previous podcasts. We'll, but we'll end on a, on a yeah, couple of Shad Run stories. We're going to end on, on the, the most Shad Run story of all Shad As I stick to this chair, Jesus, I feel like my shirt is ripping off I guarantee off you the mic. mic's picking that up. Oh, yeah, too. that's why I'm mentioning it. It just sounds terrible. It sounds like tearing <laughs> paper. Not no, really. no, it's just I'm it's it's because I'm it's getting hot in this hot ass room. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, we'll end on this story here. It uh, it was probably I don't know six years ago now, maybe longer, maybe eight years ago. It's been a while. You talk about the dump at the ramp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, was yeah. probably like six years ago. Literal dump. Now nah, it feels longer than that for some reason. I don't know. Anyway. And Caro's boat ramp in the city has always been kind of a tumultuous thing. It's it's 
always generally filled with silt, and they don't clean it up until after the shattering goes when nobody's using it anymore. So yeah. it's very frustrating. They don't ever plan ahead of time. They can't. They can't dredge it after February first because it's migratory fish season. But nobody thinks. Yeah, but any time no in January one, to do it. This is Aunt Kara's boat landing. Other than mountain bikers driving through the parking lot, nobody uses this ramp yeah. after June first, yeah. and no one uses it prior it gets, to March. It 1st. gets ninety-nine percent of its use between probably. It gets more first in June. It gets 1st. more use than any other ramp on the river throughout the entire year, and it does it in two and a half months. Yeah, but anyhow. The the ramp this particular year was pretty rough and uh, it was silted in. It was just difficult to deal with. And um, I got out of my truck one day and I pulled down and I unloaded my kayak. It's when I was still kayak fishing. I think you guys were already out there, mm-hmm. and I was meeting you guys with my spider kayak. Yeah. And uh, I unloaded. I'm like, mm, it's it kind of stinky around here. What up <laughs> with that? Like, kind of smells. It smells more like shit than. Usual. It, it, like, Aunt Carol's normally smells like dookie. Ah, goo lagoon. <laughs> goo lagoon, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Aunt Carol's boat ramp is goo lagoon. Well, I mean, there's a literal poop treatment plant next door. Is, so You drive next to a wastewater treatment plant It is a enter. very specific smell that, like, any time, no matter where I am in the world, that I smell it, boom, shad rub. Like, immediate. It's Weird like chlorinated water treatment. poop water. Yeah. Like, it's just special. But, anyway, I'm, like, unloading. I'm, like, mm, I kind of smell a little, like, dookie down here. But, all right. Like, whatever. You know, I'm wearing my waders and, and kind of ignoring it. I'm slipping around a lot. I'm, like... That ramp's like real slippery today. What is up with that? There's like mud all over everything. I'm like, hmm. Crazy that I'm slipping. I'm a really athletic guy. <laughs> yeah, really, well, I was at the time. I'm really sure. I'm really I was like 100 pounds lighter then. But I'm like slipping around. I'm like, damn, like the tide really came up and like silt everywhere. I'm like going park in my truck. I'm like walking back down. I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of gross. There's like a. I got a tampon applicator on the back. I'm like, right. I'm like, ah, that's kind of weird. Bunch of condoms, probably. What's a weird thing Bill to James just? Why would you be fish. doing that at the boat ramp? Like, there's a, other places you do in the privacy of your own, you know, like in a bathroom. Yeah, somewhere. like yeah, it's just weird. Like, why are you messing with your bits on the boat ramp? I don't understand that. But then I'm like walking a little farther. It's like a condom. I'm like, man, what? Why? Why? Like all the places you're gonna be. Getting it going on Goo Lagoon. Like, stinks down here. How do you even get in the mood for something like that? Then you go and there's another one. I'm like, wow, that's weird. That one kind of looks fresh, but that's strange. I don't know what's up with that. It's like, man, it's really slippery. Right? Like, God, I'm sliding up. Oh, I almost fell down. Almost fell down. That's crazy. Like, oh, God, it's so slippery. It stinks. Like, get out. And then about 100 yards off the bank, it occurred to me that that was just 100% shit. <laughs> like, like I poop was, all over me. It right was now. a coating of fecal matter. Yeah, like I'm so glad I didn't fall because it was all. There was so much HIV on the boat. Like it was just no, not HIV. I'm sorry. That no, no, no. Hepatitis. Hepatitis. That's what you get from poop. I think. I don't know. But there's so there was a lot of things you could have got. So from that boat oh my god! And at that time, like I didn't know what I was doing still. So I had like waiters with the sock feet. But remember, I wouldn't. But no boots. But no boots. I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just wearing out the soles of these sock waders. Seems like, like these should have some sort of shoe on the bottom of them. Yeah, I'm like going fishing with 
like this is when you used to like, wear like carpet like Christmas stockings pads. on my feet, basically. But anyway, I digress. I get in my kayak. I'm like, ah, there's poo on me. Like, I'm going, sticking my legs in the water and like swishing them together, getting it off. I'm like, man, that was crazy. I'm like, I can't believe. Turns out, the honey dipper, the 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 uh, uh, porto potty, the yeah, porto potty, <laughs> the porto potty drainer. You know, that's a new like category on TikTok. Like, honey dipping, like porta potty cleaner. It's disgusting. It is everything you think it is. They're just <laughs> yeah. sucking it all out. It's a giant poop vacuum. But it's yeah, it's disgusting. the the dude who drains the porter potties. He does not get paid enough. Yeah, I would kill myself. There's not no enough way. Not to drain that egg Kara's boat landing porter potty. Well, there this guy, enough. whoever did it this the, the the night prior, whenever he did it, just had a bad day and said f it. And I'm not going to wherever we dump all this poop. I'm just doing it right here. There's a here. perfectly good river right there. He literally just dumped the whole, whole truck, whole poop wagon on the ramp. There Not even all in the river. Like, he didn't get to the river. Four inches of duke all <laughs> over the ramp. Like, And the thing is, it was that perfect, like, jello pudding consistency that you did like there were no visible turds anywhere it was just like this is just i'm pretty sure it gets kind of mixed up when you suck yeah yeah when you when you shot back at like four thousand psi it atomizes the duke and turns it into like it's a reverse version what your paint sprayer yeah it's like um what is that uh what is that like nuclear fission what is it um it's like uh Osmosis, I think, is what they call it. <laughs> I don't think that's correct. Either. But uh, anyway, it turns it into the exact consistency of river silt. So it's like, ah, oh, cool. But like, you know, what doesn't do that. Um, latex condoms. So like, <laughs> it's just really weird. Is it? You know, you could we call them James River whitefish. You can see like a rubber. I bet if you hooked one going downstream, they'd probably fight pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a trash bag. Yeah, they don't eat well though. <laughs> yeah. But um, there's like. You you know it's Richmond, it's a city. You'll see a condom maybe once a week down there, but like to see like a herd of them all like together, three or four in a like, ten foot circle. Yeah, it's like some crazy shit happened in that spot right before I got there. <laughs> like, but anyway, the best part about this, like I think was it you or was it somebody else that was there when the van showed up? It was me. Okay, well the big like Astro van. Yeah, so like the A team pulls up. Right. Literally, just, like, same color and everything. Think of a, uh, hmm, a 1976, like, Ford Econoline. I think Econoline was being made that time. Literally anyway, the AT The van. bubble window van. Yeah. Like, this dude, like, if I didn't know what happened, I probably... Free candy like, scraped on the side. Or he could have <laughs> contributed to the pile of James River Whitefish on the ramp. Like, that that type of vibe, right? The shagging wagon. Yep, exactly. Like, there's definitely dirty carpet in that thing. So he's backing down the ramp with one of those, um, like, uh, fiberglass tri-hauls, mm-hmm. like the 1960s boats with, like, the full glass windshield. Those things are heavy. Yeah. Like, very heavy. Like, yeah. they're obscenely Like a heavy. runabout. But, yeah. yeah. Like, something that should have been taken to a junkyard about 20 years yeah. ago. They're basically A useless. typical shad run boat. What you buy when you got your tax turned back and it was only $400. Like, you, you go buy that type of boat. Well, he's backing down the ramp and, like, I'm telling you about the poop on my feet. And, like, we look at the ramp, and, like, this van is backing this thing down. But then, like, he hits the brakes, and you see the taillights. 
but he keeps going. Just sliding in. And he's slide and I can only imagine the freak out that happened inside of that vehicle. Because like when you're backing down a ramp and you're stopping, you think you're Especially just, Anchor is pretty steep. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm going underwater. Like just immediate freak out. And this dude is just sliding through the duke, right? <laughs> like he is he is on the, the slippery slopes Ugh. of Dukesville. And like he freaks out and he he does what anybody I assume would do. He throws his van and drive and just punches it. It just starts spraying dude. Slinging shit <laughs> everywhere. I mean all over everything. His boat. I think all over. I think we have told the story before and I, I was I didn't remember it as well as I'm remembering it now. I think I was tired last time we told it, but it's very poignant considering what what we're talking about today. But Dude, ha- I mean, blue smoke coming Oof. off the tires. <laughs> he's now it's shit, and there's burning shit. He, yeah, <laughs> he's just Derek, smoked dude, his tires. He is fishtailing in place, like his van's doing the stanky leg. He's not, <laughs> he's not going anywhere. He he's essentially tied to the bottom of the river with yeah. how heavy this boat is. It's just not going. It never occurred to him that like, hey, put the boat in the water. Then you pull yeah, up. Yeah, you tried to tow this heavy, yeah, heavy thing. Three thousand pound fiberglass boat with a nineteen eighty seven Johnson yes. on it, which is, you know, ironically the same thing that contributed to all of those condoms on the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this dude's like these slappers. I know. I'm just trying to finish strong here, just like the guys on the boat ramp. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this dude slings shit all over everything. He pulls up a little bit, gets out, just pissed. And gets back in and proceeds to just burn rubber all the way up the ramp. And I just know the underside of his van, his boat, everything. Caked shit. I mean, it. yeah. So, like, you know, that's just one day of many days on the James River during the Shad Run. You never know what you're going to see. Yeah. One day it was that. One day it if was. If I wasn't afraid it would get stolen, I would love to put a camera up. While I was out there fishing mm-hmm. and just watch the boat ramp drama. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty. Could have wild. like a million videos for YouTube in like one season. Yeah, yeah. See jet skis get dropped on the concrete twenty feet from the water. Oh yeah, that is painful. Saw two dudes who had obviously just bought like one of them Sea Doo ski boat things. The guys last year. Which ones? The guys that didn't know how to tilt their trim their motor. Oh yeah! It was like it was Dudes like, in like a, a boat it was an old Cajun bass boat. Right. I remember it vividly. It was These a Cajun guys. bass boat from the eighties with a one fifty two stroke Johnson on the back of it. Oh god! It was probably six people in that boat, five or six people easily. Like yeah, they look, they look like they rode the boat from Cuba. Like that boat, that physical. They boat. used yes. that boat to escape. They, one thousand percent bought oppression that boat. and drove that boat to the United States. <laughs> they one thousand percent bought that boat less than twelve hours yeah. prior to when we were seeing them, yeah. and had no idea what trim was. Yeah. So these guys are riding with their <laughs> motor <laughs> trimmed up, <laughs> dude, <laughs> and their dude, kids oh are bow riding. Oh, their yeah. kids were laying yeah. on the front of the boat. Like imagine yeah. a bass boat. You know they have the huge front deck. The kids were laying face front, like facing head forward, over the front, head of the over boat. the front rail, holding one arm on. in the air, like he was riding a fucking bronco. Yeah, and like dude. we're watching this yeah. dude. I'm talking the entire boat is just about leaving the water. Yeah, and he ran the entire mile and a half long straightaway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was very. Clear you're watching we were these two kids. See. 
legs kicking up in the air, yeah, it, slamming it like, back down on the boat. Like, like if you're filming it, it, it looked like a live leak logo was about to get. There was like, a eighty to ninety percent chance that a child was going to get yeah, yeeted they were off of that about boat. To, create like some taco it was funny salad. though they figured like, it out gonna, like yeah, later in the day it's like two hours later we see him come back up river they had figured it out yeah well yeah but, but it um, was it not only was it that not only was it those dudes in the boat but if you remember they also had two jet skiers with them yes and they were weaving in and, in and out, out of fishing boats in well no in in front they were weaving in oh, yeah. front of that in front boat, of that boat which yeah. was then in turn making his situation worse cuz he kept busting the wake of yeah. the other guys and then i think when we came back that day i think they just had their jet skis just like tied off on Ancaro's yeah. in the way of everyone. And remember just, they could get them on the trailer for some reason. I remember we sat there for like 20 minutes. They didn't Watching give a singular it. shit no. about anything. They were trying to get the the bass boat on the trailer, and then when they finally figured it out, then the other two guys tried to get the jet ski trailer yeah. down, and they ended up yeah. carrying the trailer while the yeah. truck backed because yeah. they couldn't back the trailer. Yeah, those dudes almost got turned into tomato soup. Like they were The, the they two were, guys I was about to talk about, they were two dudes at a blatantly recently purchased like one of those ski boats it's real small mm. two seats like yeah. they were riding just donuts right in front of egg caros running past everybody there's people like raising right they're just flicking everybody off like filming themselves for tiktok like oh <laughs> like throw it up freaking shaka bros and everything <laughs> they ran up to the rock island and i could see them because i was catfishing at one point you could see them just donutting around boats and mm-hmm. stuff just doing just wild shit yeah and i see that like apparently everyone called on them yeah because when i got back to the ramp they had their truck hooked up to a tow truck nice their trailer was secondary in the thing, and the trailer was hooked up to a game warden's truck. Nice. And yeah. the guys were just sitting there on the ramp, just getting ticket after ticket after ticket after ticket. When I went up to the top after putting my my kayak in the back of the truck, I asked the dudes, I was like, so what happened with that? And yeah. they were like, man, like, were you one of the ones that called them? I was like, I didn't call on them. Right. And they said, well, everyone else did. They yeah. said, uh, we've got video of them doing donuts. We got... He said they didn't have a life jacket. Neither one of them had a boater's certificate. Like, every right. possible thing they could get, they had none of it. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, these guys will probably never operate a boat again. <laughs> yeah, I can read, I can I can hear the YouTube video now. Like, took new boat out. Hashtag cops called. Yeah, bought hashtag new boat. Karen. Cops called. Hashtag Karen. Hashtag, hashtag spillway fishing? Yeah, I don't no get fun. All right, well. The last, the singular, because we need to go to bed soon, not in the same bed, in separate bed, <laughs> but but it's what I'm saying is getting late here. Um, <laughs> not the same bed. I feel like I immediately had to clarify that. I, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, the last story, and you'll immediately know which one. Hey, be careful. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Where it's literally this is the ultimate, the <sighs> beginning of the pandemic. All everybody, it's literally it's April 2020. Everybody's supposed to be dead. Like stay in your home. They were talking the about literal beginning. It started in March. Yeah, they're talking about like shutting down the. That was one of the days they had the the dude counting cars going into the ramp. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Oh man, I forgot remember about the ramps that. were limited to like seventy cars. Yeah, it was just a shit show and a half. We got there like hella early. Yeah. 
because we were like, man, they're going to limit it yeah. and no one's going to be able yeah. to get in. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was that and like. They were potentially going to shut down all the boat ramps. Yeah. That that was like. They which were... is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> hey, of. you know this pastime where everybody's separated from one yeah. another getting fresh well, air? Remember they were talking about whatever the length of your boat is, divide it by six. That's how many no. people you can have on the boat. No. You had to be six I don't have that apart. many friends. I don't have God. But no. So, right. Anyway. They're like, hey, you guys need to stay home. The elderly are going to die from this. And literally, it's like a party boat of all old people. Yeah, we were out Nobody there shad fishing, listening. and there's like a 24-foot pontoon boat with yeah. 12 people yeah, on it. Yeah, just yeah like, they all it. had COVID and died eventually, I guess. But according to whatever I was thinking at the time. Anyway, but we went out and had a great COVID day of fishing. I don't know if we caught anything. I don't recall the day of fishing. Were because, we in kayaks? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, my boat was still being worked on. I was still yeah. working on that. So we, we had a great day of fishing, but it was all overshadowed by our attempt to oh, yeah. load kayaks back. Yeah, so we're like we're trying to leave the ramp. It's just a shit well, show. Set the stage. One side of Ancaro's boat landing, one of the docks, I guess you could say they're both mm-hmm. concrete, but one of the docks is about sixteen inches lower than the other one. Oh yeah. So at high tide, that side gets covered in water at all times mm-hmm. and we were particularly close to after like a time with a river had spiked so not only does it get wet yeah. it has about a two inch layer of river silt on top of which is uh, it's a lot which is slicker two than inches Duke. is a lot <laughs> which is slicker Ask than the anybody. duke he was slick <laughs> sliding it earlier <laughs> no but yeah so there's that going on there's a bunch of boats, boats trying to get out and then because it was covid and everybody was home it wasn't just fishermen on the river it was pleasure boaters it was just anybody it, who it, could there were cigarette there. boats coming up the they, busiest shad season yeah. i've ever seen was covid when everybody's supposed to stay home yes yeah so it wasn't just like fishermen okay there's some etiquette there but like in the middle of COVID, everybody, nobody's working. Everybody's home. Like you have That's the thing. everybody. No boat ramp etiquette. Most fishermen understand it. Yeah. No pleasure boater understands no, it. No, no. <laughs> That's so typically the way. There's it works. just you know the wakes are coming into the ramp. It's just very yeah. challenging. All we have is kayaks. I'm like Grant. Let's, let's just, just pull, walk yeah, them up. Let's there. just walk them up. Let's go get and then like we get up, we get out, and then like okay, I think the ramp cleared a little bit. I'm like, all right, screw it. Like I let's... step onto the ramp first. Yeah, and well, I'm I like, say, let's go get the trucks. Yes, like we'll just bring the trucks down, load them up real well, quick. Well, we've done it there. before. The ramp's two lanes wide, but we could like back our trucks within yeah. about a foot of each other and yeah. only take up one. We ramp. could be loaded and out of there in probably two minutes, yeah. three minutes. But anyway, we're walking, and it was like. Four inches of silt, which is way more than you need. Yeah, and we're we're uh, we're on our way out of there, and like I turn or Grant turns to me, he goes, "Hey, be, be careful. careful!" And as the fault comes out, my foot completely misses the edge of the like hits the corner of the ramp, immediately slips off because there's like way more than your, anybody. Let's needs. say, like, how wide is your foot? Would you say? Four like inches wide, maybe three inches, and a half. Uh, uh, <laughs> three and a half inches wide. I don't know. Only about a centimeter of that touched concrete. Was, the other centimeter yeah. touched air. Yeah. And then he proceeded to ass over tea kettle. No, no there was a very clear nut crunch into the angle. Oh yeah, I, I dude. There was a slide mark where your right leg went up the silt, and you went. 
I don't know if it hit you. I don't nuts, think that. I don't think it happened. It hit how it your like leg, it. and you just rolled into the river. Anyway, all you need to know is Grant jinxed me, and I fell into the water in front of no less than a dozen people. The funniest part was there was a pontoon boat across the ramp from us with like probably two or three what I would consider trophy wives. Their husbands were up the river or up the ramp going to get the truck, trophy. and all I heard was one of them say. In the most monotone, unconcerned, I'm not helping that fat idiot <laughs> turn. Well, I, you're definitely <laughs> making shit up to hurt my feelings. No, because nobody said, said that. No, this is the tone she used. He's lying. She did not. She's, nobody called me fat. No, <laughs> I'm using it as a tone. She said. Oh no! <laughs> oh, you mean that's what she was thinking? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, she I looked at you. Yeah. She looked at you, and this is the literally the tone and the. Just everything. There was no concern. She no. just went, oh, no. And you see Josh come up like a wet dog. You were about to say a, fu- no. uh, a whale. Yes, you were. No, it wasn't. Lie. No, because you came up and you were drenched. Dude. And all I saw was his hat was, like, floating in front of <laughs> <Yeah>. him. <laughs> and he comes up. Want to see me do it again? The funny thing is you still had the rope for your kayak in your hand. Yeah. Like it was going to go anywhere. Disappeared. Disappeared immediately. God. He fell in, and the river is brown. Oh, yeah. You went one inch underwater, yeah. and he was gone. He's never coming back. to the back. Duke water. It's just gone. Old Greg's lair. I am out of there. Nah, dude. It was, t- like, nothing is more painful than, like, doing something embarrassing and people not laughing at you. Because, like, gotta, like, when... Cause like then did I'm like you ah, just walking up the ramp or did you climb back up? I the climbed ladder? back up the ladder. There's nothing that hurts you more than somebody going, "Are you okay?" Instead of laughing, because then I have to laugh because I'm embarrassed. I'm like, there were a couple <laughs> people like up on the hill that were like, <gasps> and that was it. <laughs> oh no, the fat guy fell in the water. <laughs> like, great, awesome, thank you so much for not laughing. Please laugh. <laughs> oh, he's okay. He's okay. <laughs> yeah. No. So it was just, and it happened so slowly. Like, oh yeah, I fell for days. I feel like <laughs> if you had, like, if you would have realized what was happening a slightly sooner, no, you went like no shot. Your arms didn't no even attempt to grab no anything. Shot. You hit. and There's nothing to grab. <laughs> I was grabbing. I was grabbing. I just. It took so long to get into the water <laughs> that it's hard to believe you couldn't yeah. prevent it. I fell with moon gravity. <laughs> like. Like, I I had enough time by the time my foot left to go, oh, man. It's like, thing, like, even if there was, like, a slight nut crunch, I don't think you fell fast enough to hurt nut, anything. I wasn't, no, it wasn't a nut crunch because I literally, the only thing that was injured was my ego. Like, I hit the water. I knew my hat was still floating because it, was it wasn't on my <laughs> The, the I was wearing part. my life jacket, so like when three hundred pounds hits the water and goes under quickly, it also comes back up very quickly. So like I'm like, you, you almost floated back up. <laughs> yeah, the I'm like, man, that was levitate. crazy. You know, like when you jump on a pool inflatable and it like Jesus. goes under, but shoot you back up real quick. Yeah, so you know, it, it was I just fun. I just so clearly remember the sight of one leg going in the water and the other leg was still on the concrete. And then you rolled in. Yeah, I was like, I was doing like a cartwheel in the air. But I don't know. It's I've been to that ramp a hundred times if I've been there once, and I've never had any of that yeah. happen. It just so happens as you're saying, "Hey, be careful." I'm like, "Oh." It's like I said it because I was wearing waders as well, yeah. or 
No, I was just wearing Crocs. It was warm. We were in like bathing suits. I was wearing Crocs, and I just stepped in, you know, the great Mm. grip that Crocs have. I stepped into that silt, and like my foot went, and I'm like, whoa, yo, be care, and (laughs) kaboosh. Oh, no, he's dead. uh, If only I would have warned him sooner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in front of just God and everybody. And then I come up and like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just wet. Please <laughs> laugh at this or I'm going to kill myself. Oh, no. Yeah, great. Says it under her breath, but loud enough for everyone <laughs> yeah. to hear. Lady, I will slit your tires <laughs> when I get to the ramp. But anyway, so I got to go home and wash the poop out of my hair. But, uh, I don't know. That's generally that's what you get with the shad run. It if you be, fish the shad run enough, you're gonna get stories like these. Oh yeah. Well, the next last year we had that boat come down on us, like literally oh, a God. boat full of people. Like God. I don't know if anybody spoke English, which that's one bes- of them did. Yeah, that's besides the point. That is not important in no. the situation. But like, I bring that up because the communication <laughs> barrier was apparently is- acting like they couldn't. Yeah, something was, was going like, on. It was just a difficult communication barrier because I guess they didn't understand English. The boat came off. I anchor. definitely don't know like Vietnamese. Or, I mean, they got within a rod length. Yeah, yeah. It. Was, I mean, just floating down and like I'm looking like, hey, hey, and like. Well, this. then we said, hey, yo, you're not anchored anymore. And the dude's like, I know, man. Yeah, like, no, man God, it's some down. random guy. Like it's yeah. a, it's like a, probably Korean family. I don't know if they just didn't speak English or I don't know. That doesn't matter. But the problem is there was a dude on the boat who did speak English who gave me an attitude. I'm like, you're yeah. about to hit me right now. Yeah, and like, they're in like a huge boat. They were in like, like a 24 foot cuddy cabin and we're in a 17 just, foot aluminum you know, boat. It's, it's fine. What set me off is like, okay, like you weren't paying attention. You came off anchor. You floated down. That's fine. But like, I'm standing here. I was attempting to fly fish at the time. I'm stopping what I'm doing, and I'm like, "We couldn't fish I'm, because their yeah, boat was in our back three cast. feet from. Yeah. I could have boarded their vessel, yeah. like a just an angry, obese Jack Sparrow. And they were like, like retying stuff, and yeah, were just totally not giving I, a crap yeah, about anyone zero else. Zero concern with them being in the way whatsoever. Yeah. And like the dude, get, uh, I'm like, hey man, like, can you move? He goes, I'm going, like, I'm going to. It starts getting. Yeah, shitty. man, what's the problem? Yeah, man? Like, like, I'm like, you're. What do you like? You should expect me to wait here, like, for three minutes as you yeah. just. Sorry, man, your by. world. I'm just living it's in just, it. It's not the fact that the action was happening. It's the nonchalant of like, I'm gonna waste your time, and I don't give a shit. Yeah. So that was fun. I I, I don't even know. But and then he like pulls the I anchor. I felt bad up. because they I'm start like, the boat and yeah, just left. It wasn't like, that family's fault. It was like whoever was helming. I feel like, like that helm, guy like, was who was supposed to be. In yeah, charge. and like that dude was. So I'm just like yelling at a boat full of people that like 99 percent of them is not their fault, but yeah. they're just like terrified because they large dude that looks like he just well the funny out of thing was we were looking at him like at the him. whole family's making eye contact with us and they like yeah, you they, tell, they didn't want to be in the no, situation. You could tell their facial expressions. They knew, like, we're not supposed to be where we yeah. are right now. Well, I mean, most people go, yeah. hey, I shouldn't, I don't know, anchor beside yeah. this dude. The guy who's running the show or whatever is, like, just totally yeah. fine with the boat being three yeah, feet away from know. another boat. That guy was kind of a jerk. But yeah. I don't know. All right, man. All right. I'll do it. All <laughs> like, right. What? what? Yeah, it the is. whole 
whole <laughs> river. <laughs> like, and there was like there no was one out nobody there. Nobody out there, and you're just like floating by at point one miles an hour. I'm like, dude, get out it was of a the solid, way. Solid like five minute period yeah. where we couldn't do anything. Yeah, it was just so. If you couldn't have learned from all that, you never know what you're gonna get with the shad run. But it's all in good fun. That's all I got. Do Probably you have anything else? No. Okay. Well, if any of you all have any questions uh, further about the shad run or shad run tactics or antics or catfishing or whatever, uh, hit us up on Instagram. Um, uh, shoot us a DM or uh, email us haverods at gmail.com. Uh, shoot that over. We'll be more than happy to help you. Shad is something we've probably done the longest, so we have a little bit of knowledge. If there's something specific that you may not know that you need help with, we can maybe help with that. But Chances are we'll probably see you out there if you're fishing the James. Yeah, this has been the Shad Show. Happy spring to everyone. Um, yeah, this is species-specific. We'll be doing more of these where we kind of break down individual fish species and topics and good stuff. We'll drop one of these every now and then at, uh, in addition to our regular podcast. Add a little more flavor to the selection there. All right. Well, hope you learned something. Good luck. Catch some fish. We'll see you out there. Catch you next time. (laughs) (laughs) This is important. (laughs) Critical (laughs) plot development.